Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I'm Mikey. And we are back with our post-Twin Peaks cinema exploration into David Lynch. Mm-hmm. One day I'm going to find a really snappy title for what uh, we're doing. No, that one was good. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we are we watched tonight the 1990 film The Straight Story. Wait, 1999? 19... 99. I thought you said 1990, and I was like, it it says in memory of Alvin Strait, whatever year to 1996. <laughs> and I was like, if this came out in 1990, this is also, I was, okay, got it. Okay. Well, it just, it sounded like you said 1990. Roll the tape back. Okay. Um, so... It was directed by David Lynch, a strong departure from everything else he's ever done in his entire life. <laughs> uh, it's a G-rated Disney movie, very wholesome, about a man driving, it's you know, 300 miles on a tractor to visit his sick brother. Utterly delightful. It's a, it's sweet and wonderful and warm and great. Yeah. Um, so when you've seen this movie before. Yeah. Can you tell me what your first adventure into it? I assume you watched it simply because it was David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think it was like I typically try to make an effort to see most or all of the Oscar nominated movies whenever possible. Mm -hmm. um, Unless I actively don't want to see them. And, Mm -hmm. And this was up for at least Farnsworth. I know Richard Farnsworth was nominated. I don't think won anything it might battle menti might have been nominated for the score the score is incredible by the way it's interesting awards and honors it was nominated for the who oh boy palm dior okay the 1999 Cannes film festival um cinematographer freddie francis was nominated for a mm-hmm. golden frog mm-hmm. Um, Richard Farnsworth earned an, really burying the lead here earned an Academy Award nomination for Best yeah. Actor. That I knew, and I know he didn't win, but I don't recall what did. Oh but boy! Um, I wish I were better at that, like being able to just like remember what. Okay, nineteen ninety nine. That would have been like it was a an interesting year for movies, but academy award for best actor in a leading role in 2000 it was the 2000 oscars for the 1999 yeah, yeah. year so um the nominees are russell crowe for the insider mm. sean penn for sweet and lowdown mm-hmm. kevin spacey for american beauty oh is that what one i'm not sure um richard farnsworth for the straight story and denzel washington for the hurricane Oh, that might have won. I don't remember what won. I don't. Th- in hindsight, I don't think it was Spacey. Mm, who won Best Actor? Yeah, it was Kevin Spacey. Was it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a bummer. Because I remember, yeah. like Richard Farnsworth died, like either before the Oscars or right after the Oscars. Like, um, I believe he died shortly after this film came out. Um, right. By controversially. A- controversially a self-inflicted gun wound oh i didn't realize that um, i don't think he had bone cancer while he was filming this and that's why apparently that's why he moved the way he did i'm not sure if it was fully written in if Hmm. if um if alvin straight really did i assume he had some sort of mobility issues but but um he was suffering it was apparently very painful all through filming wow um 
So, um, I mean, that's one way to get a performance out of your actors. I mean, you know, hey, um, can you try and do this scene with horribly, <laughs> horrifically painful yeah, bone exactly. cancer? And we'll use, do another take. Thanks. But you can only use two canes because your character is too proud to use a walker. Yeah. Um, okay. Should we dive into the summary? Sure. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, the more I see this movie, it. It just gets better and better. It's a really, really good movie. It's really lovely. Okay, so Alvin Strait fails to show up to his regular bar meeting with friends and is eventually found lying on his kitchen floor. Um, His and you, you find out that information in the most Lynch-like way. Like, Mm -hmm. there's this like tableau of this kind of country house, Uh a little bit rundown, Mm -hmm. and a woman. Sunbathing. Sunbathing with, like, one of those big reflector screens Mm -hmm. and, and like... Double the skin cancer. Yeah, right? And, like, it's just a long shot of it. Mm -hmm. And then she folds it up, puts it down, stand up. You watch her walk all the way into her house on the right of the frame. Mm -hmm. Camera starts pushing in, goes to the window with the house on the left. You hear a crash pulls back out the woman comes and sits back down with like a well plated yeah <laughs> like plate full of hostess snowballs uh-huh. um and That's how i ate my snowballs right exactly it's if it's you know presentation is important but and she sits you know sits back down and is eating these snowballs but like it just looks like something straight out of blue velvet mm-hmm. or like this there's something weird about such a simple thing. Yeah, it it's, looks wholesome, but it feels sinister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very David Lynch. Like, there's moments, there's several moments in this that feel like, oh, this is just a sweet movie made by whomever. Mm-hmm. And several moments that are like, oh, that's David Lynch. Yeah, for like, sure. it's really, really interesting to see David Lynch. Because it's easy to apply, oh, this movie, you can, you know, when you watch a movie and say, this feels like, a David Lynch movie or mm-hmm. this feels like a Steven Spielberg movie or this feels whoever it's easy to find those things when you're looking at something that like oh this is a really dark twisted storyline mm-hmm. this feels like David Lynch to watch something that's so thematically outside of mm-hmm. David Lynch's regular oeuvre yeah. or whatever it's really interesting when you see those moments that are like oh, this is what makes Lynch Lynch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like shot choices and camera movement and all these things. It's really, really fun to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. There is just sort of this interesting thing that's, especially in this scene that's coming up right now with when everybody discovers him on the floor mm-hmm. and everybody's fully panicking and it's, mm-hmm. like I really like the element of everybody seems like they just entered a room with an unconscious dead body he keeps popping up like no I mean I'm fine it's yeah. it's okay and everyone's like oh my god what happened he's and, like, like no, he no no I'm okay to be in like real pain right like he he's laying on the ground like Cooper at the yeah. season just one really season flat. two crossover where he's just like flat on his back yeah. just like everything is fine mm-hmm. I will get through this yeah. this isn't how I wanted this to go mm-hmm. but here we are mm-hmm. let's move forward and yeah, everyone's just panicking around yeah. him in, in various ways. The one guy, his one buddy's like making fr- fun of him. Mm-hmm. His daughter's freaking out. There's the, the the neighbors like trying to call the police and like it's it's, it's just very. It's, yeah, I it's really like dynamic. I think that aspect. We yeah. have to call an ambulance, yeah. and he's like, 
You don't need to call an ambulance. I'm fine. I'm okay. I just need someone to help me up, please. Thank you. Um, so eventually he's talked into going to a doctor, um, and he... And I, another great goofy moment is when they pull up to go to the doctor, and like they're clearly driving that car like in the wrong gear. So oh, when they go to like stop, it's like that made me gunk, gunk, and then like jerks forward, and they're just like, "Okay, we're here." Like so, that was <laughs> I have never seen a physical car gag like that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's it felt incredible. like the car took a pratfall. <laughs> right, it right. was really funny. Um. And then the, the moment then when the nurse is like, okay, you have to shake everything off and put the robe on and the doctor will Just see you. bring in the doctor. <laughs> okay. Um, so the doctor kind of gives him a lecture. And I, and I want to say, um, I know I talk about the fact that I live in, lived in Montana for a long time. The character of Alvin is very familiar to me. Oh, I believe it. Very familiar to me. He reminds me a lot of a friend of mine, John, uh, who unfortunately passed away um, like 10 or 12 years ago. This feels like the kind of guy he would grow up to be. Mm -hmm. And there is a... And and John was from Alabama. This guy was very Midwestern. But there is a... um, um, an acute awareness of I do not want to owe anybody mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Like, and especially that when he, and we'll get call. to it, the phone yeah. call. And not only, I'm not going to come in your house. If I could use the phone, that would be great. I am not going to take any, mm-hmm. I'm not going to take any more of your time than I need to. And then yeah. left the three bucks under the phone because it was a long yeah. distance call. Like, uh-huh. those feel very, um, like rustic wholesome masculinity yeah, kind of thing for all you youngins out there you used to have to pay extra for long yeah, distance yeah, phone exactly. calls that's Can not you a imagine? thing anymore you can't even <laughs> dial a phone without an area right. code now yeah. it's so strange yeah um, i like had i grown up in more of a rural area or whatever i could absolutely see this being me and oh yeah like this like, oh god that borderline, almost is you now like wholesome stubbornness yeah. and stuff that's absolutely me well you know? like and, he's a good person at heart He's empathetic and he's caring, but also like, I, th- this all this other fluff is just stupid. Get the, get rid of that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Everything. Just give me. Just give me the simple things. Yeah. Just keep it. Keep everything simple. Yeah. Um. So his doctor is like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> these you, are all the ways you're in terrible shape. And yeah. y- like he is, and and this is again. I I know it's a like inherently masculine, not inherently, but a socially masculine thing to never want to go to the doctor mm-hmm. that is times a billion for like rural people mm-hmm. again my friend john was like i'm not gonna go to the doctor like if i'm dying i'm dying what am i gonna do about it like mm-hmm. very fatalistic about everything and i saw that so hard in his eyes when he was like you got emphysema your hips are fucked you we need to test you for this you're pre-diabetic yeah, your, your yeah, eyes are diet, fucked yeah. And, and he, every time he's like, we just need to do a test in your eyes. Nope. Nope. No tests. Nope. Okay. We just need to do surgery in your hips. Nope. nope no surgery. Like just, nope, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Now, now I know what's wrong and I will be getting on my merry way. Yeah. Um, and so he says, now both of your hips are fucked. You need to start using a walker. And he's like, nope. And he's like, two canes. Okay. I, I, what I think is great about that moment too, is they make a point of like, he's too proud for a walker. And then at the end, when he finally sees his brother, his brother comes out with a walker. Oh, I didn't. Which I think that. is a yeah, is, a, is a great like. Okay, yeah, they, they're they're both making concessions mm-hmm. in order to make this relationship yeah. work and stuff, which I think is, yeah. 
Uh, so Alvin learns that his brother Lyle has suffered a stroke. Um, he really wants to visit him, but he can't drive. And he he learns this in another of a very David Lynch esque mm-hmm. way of he hears half a phone call of his daughter. Okay, oh okay, I'll I'll okay I'll let him know. Mm-hmm. I'll let him. Uh, okay, I'll let him know. And you can just see him in his his chin is pointed up, and his eyes start kind of welling up a little bit. Like he's like it's. Fucking Lyle. Yeah. It's my brother. I know Mm -hmm. it is. And like that happens all the time throughout Lynch's work of like people something bad happens, they just know Mm -hmm. and don't they don't need to be told. We the audience needs to be told. Do you think it's a good um (laughs) do you think anxiety is basically just that moment, but nothing bad has actually happened? (laughs) If somebody picked up their phone is like, yeah, okay. And in your heart you're like it happened. Everybody I know and love ever have died. And they hang up. They're like, oh, no, it's just my mom is yeah. going to the eye doctor and she wants me to bring it. Bring yeah. Her. Like, that's totally how. And maybe it's depression. I don't know. But that's like how. That, that's <laughs> yeah, genuinely we, how I feel we, all the time. We see the moment where he realizes this and it and it makes a profound statement mm-hmm. uh, about his connection with his brother. But we don't see the 150 other times where, like, he gets a phone call and it's like, no, nope, the delivery is going to be late. <laughs> you know, like or like, oh, just checking in to see. Uh, hey, I got, I made an extra lasagna. Do you <laughs> want one? Like, like, like it's, and every time he's just like, oh, uh, you know, it's fucked. It's the one time that actually happened to me just reaffirmed all of the times that I was wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. so, like every time my phone rings and it's my dad, I'm like, well, everybody's dead or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then one time, I don't know if you remember this, we were on our way home from Galena and we were at a Culver's and my dad called me and I was like, I just know this is bad news. And you're like, just fucking answer the phone, lunatic. And my dad's cancer was back. And I was like, my brain was like, <laughs> I've been preparing for you this for years. <laughs> And so now every time Yikes. someone calls me, I'm like, something's yeah. back. Yeah. Alien invasion? Unclear. Yeah, I mean, it's something only, bad. I've had that, which is funny because I get obviously horrible anxiety all the time. I don't usually get that. No? That frequently. Unless it's out of the, like the one time for me that I remember that being a thing was when my stepmom called me like one night or whatever. And I was like, yeah, okay, she doesn't call me. Like this I, is when your dad had his accident. And my, yeah, this oh. is when my dad got into a motorcycle accident. Um, and like the, like those are moments where like, oh shit, or like, I woke up once where I had one missed call, and I woke up to another call at like five thirty in the morning from my aunt, and I had missed a call from my dad or something like that, and I was like, up. Oh. As soon as I picked up my phone and saw like that information hadn't answered, it I was like, okay, that's. That's my grand, you know. That's my grandmother died yeah. or whatever. Like, yeah. But but those were like, oh, it wasn't just that my dad called me. Mm-hmm. It was that I saw that they were calling me at really early. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Or my aunt or my stepmom who doesn't call me, that kind of thing. But yeah. But it's but it's yeah. It's an interesting piece of information, and it's again like similar to that of Twin Peaks, where like bad information always seems to come through electronic devices Mm -hmm. yet the person just somehow already knows Mm -hmm. it's it's an interesting Mm -hmm. approach that he likes to use um so he so alvin decides that he wants to uh travel to mount zion wisconsin um 
and because he his eyes are bad, he and he doesn't have a license. He thinks he can't, he shouldn't drive. Yeah. There's an interesting exchange where he says, "I." Th- he comes in and talks to Rose, his his daughter, and says, "Like, I'm gonna go visit him. I have to go do this." And she's like, "Okay, wait, how?" Mm-hmm. And he says, "Like, oh, I haven't gotten that far yet." Yeah, and I. I wonder about that with does he actually not know yet or does he know 100% I'm driving my fucking track or my fucking lawnmower to go see my brother. I don't want to tell you yet until I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? Like it feels a little bit like if I try to tell you I'm going to fix up the lawnmower, I'm going to build this little like trailer and all this stuff. If I tell you all that now, you're going to stop me from doing Mm -hmm. it. So I'm going to say I'm working out some ideas. And figure it out. And I've always, I kind of go back and forth with that concept of mm-hmm. like, oh, is he just leaping, you know, putting his heart out first and leaping with, I'll figure it out later and I yeah. just got to do this? Or is he trying to protect his daughter and stop her from convincing him not to? Right. You know? Uh, do we want to talk about Sissy SpaceX performance? This sort of. Do you, I, I it mean, sounds like you have something to say. I, I mean, <laughs> Like, able-bodied people portraying neurodiverse people is never great. See I Sean I mean, Penn and... I don't think... Like, she... I only... It sounds to me like she only had a stutter. Oh, you think? Yeah. I mean, he talks oh. about her being incredibly smart and very... I didn't pick up that she was, like, special needs in any way. Oh, okay. I just thought she had a, a speech impediment. And so people think that she's special mm, needs, sure. but in... In actuality, it's basically just a, you know, her her mind thinks faster than her mouth. Mm-hmm. Okay, could be. I, I I don't know. I don't know what. Her... I'd be curious because I'm sure that's not that's an, un, an in telling a true story. That's an unnecessary character choice. So I'd be curious to know, you know, the real life Rose Strait and what her, you know, situation is. If she has a condition of some kind, or if she. You know, but, but I, yeah, I, I, I liked her performance. I didn't, I didn't find it. I don't know. Yeah, doesn't mention her at all in the, in the Wikipedia about his life. So yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I read that wrong. I read it as and maybe I did somebody too, who was, but you know, maybe mildly autistic and, you know, whatever. Anyway. But also, like, I mean, you know, in 1990s, like how many autistic actors were available oh, at the time and I mean Sissy of course Spacek but that doesn't mean it legendary and right you know. but it doesn't mean it it doesn't yeah. mean it's appropriate or age well it just means they did it yeah um so Alvin uh sets off it and right before he does that the, what I I really really like that scene where he's like welding and like you know uh, lubing up the the trailer hitch and and building on, and she's she's complaining to him, like going back and forth with the big planks of wood to yeah. behind the house, and then back and forward the entire time, just talking at him. And then th- this is the sound you make whenever you stand up. Oh, it's a really really fun exchange, mm-hmm. and he's just kind of smiling at it. But it also shows yeah. that like at up up until this point, he's portrayed as this like decrepit old man, mm-hmm. and I think you need this scene to set up that like. Oh, he 
has the shit together. Yeah, he's still able-bodied enough to, like, weld pieces together to mm-hmm. build. Like, if it's something happens fun, but... on the road, like, he's not going to, like, fall apart. Like, he, he has the, the, you know, the right. the know-how and the, the ability to get himself out of a jam if need be. And I think it's a really great moment. And it also feels like what's funny now is when you get to, what is this, 22 years later? Mm-hmm. He feels a lot like David Lynch now. Like this is like when you see all those like YouTube videos David Lynch has been doing where he like checks in and he's like, I'm building this thing in my basement or in my garage or a little art studio thing and all these things. Like that's kind of what it feels like. Like and David Lynch is roughly the same age as Mm -hmm. Richard Farnsworth is playing in this movie. And he's younger than that, I think. Richard Farnsworth was like he was playing 73 in the movie. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm, okay. I must be wrong. Then. They they mentioned that, and and David Lynch, I think, is what seventy one, something like that. Um, hold on, I'm looking. Eight year old brother. Okay, seventy three. And David Lynch is how old is David Lynch? Nope, not David Lynch. Don't know who that is. Seventy five. 75 okay so even older okay i thought wow he just looks lynch is older he's just so lynch is still so sharp and still so able-bodied and his hair is so tall (laughs) yeah his hair's so thick too even um but a lot of this i just this feels like david lynch Mm -hmm. like this is what he would be doing if he were 73 in 1999 Moved you know like Missoula yeah and, and just he's building things and he's gonna go see his brother and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll take my tractor yeah. who cares how long it takes yeah yeah you know like that kind of I will I'll get there when I get there right. it doesn't I can go five miles an hour and mm-hmm. not have a radio or anything to keep me like can you imagine he said he's on the for five weeks did he say so, yeah I, at one point he's it's been about a month and that was like around the midway yeah, because he, he checks said in with that early family. September, and it was yeah, like, and then he was there for at least several days because yeah. they were, you know, but just fixing things. Yeah, but with it's, your thoughts, oy, oy, it's my nightmare. I'm, and that's a, like, and I think that's you know one of the big you know takeaways from this movie, and something that Lynch is really trying to drive home with this is is take it all in, take mm. it slow down. You don't need to like match your racing mind. You know what mm. I mean? Just take a step back take in nature and take like it's a, like you even get like his david lynch patented lines on a highway yeah shot but at five miles but it's, an hour but it's yeah at five miles an hour and in broad daylight and so it's, funny it you know those comparing to shots from you know the uh, lost highway or twin peaks or something right. is amazing but it's also just like slow down mm-hmm. it's okay to be this slow it's like it's like a metaphor for his entire like body of work, mm. you know. It's okay, just slow it down and Dang take it all easy. in, yeah. you know. Um, so Alvin's first attempt fails. Um, he didn't get that far on his original uh, lawnmower before it breaks down, and then we see a really lovely scene of him on the lawnmower on the back of a flatbed truck like holding onto his hat <laughs> and, and they start this they start the shot with just like chest up uh-huh. so you don't even realize and then they kind of slowly pull down and you realize it was a f- he's just sitting and his hand's still on the wheel it was it's a great. fun shot i really it's enjoyed great. that yeah um <laughs> so he 
Which is, it's also very funny that they take the uh, landlord back to him because he immediately, <laughs> I like, I love this shot when he, Rose is talking and he walks oh, yeah. in with a gun. And, you and they sh- both just stop and like slowly look over <laughs> while he goes out there. And they're like, I felt like that was maybe the most Lynchian bit of, yeah. of this movie of just like, she's talking about something else and it's, he just walks by in the background, this like comically large yeah. shotgun. It's great. Cause it's like in mid conversation where the, like the one, the one woman was like, well, what, what kind of truck was it that brought him back? Oh, Oh, and then you so- go, you watch him go all the way around. You watch him come a Ford. Sorry, man. And I... Back up. He brought my dad back. Hmm. Hmm. I must have been at the beauty shop. What kind of pickup? it was it's great it's genius a genius comic timing it was yeah. like a weirdly like brave piece of comedy to commit yeah. to because it lasted so long uh-huh. for like a g i'm honestly surprised you can have guns in a g-rated movie mm, things were different in the 90s but like not only has a gun but you see him fire it like i'm just surprised that that wouldn't bump it to pg G is, vi- you know what I mean? Yeah, like, G is. There's nothing like, even, you know, there needs to be nothing remotely mm-hmm. controversial. And but I mean the same firing way. Firing a gun seems. I mean, Indiana T- Temple of Doom was fucking PG before there was yeah, a PG thirteen, but, but just like shit was different then. Well, like, but yeah, but that's because they didn't have. Well, the but I, I think what, what's important to remember always is that the the rating culture as we know it is based on puritanical ideals, not anti-violent sure. ideals. Sure. And so, if he kissed somebody, I bet it would be PG. But the people who care yeah. about this kind of thing are not bothered by guns; they care about quote unquote adult yeah. things. Yeah. Is is what I would would say. Um, yeah, then he shoots his tracker and it blows the fuck up. Jesus Christ, <laughs> it blows up. Um, uh, so he goes to the John Deere dealership where we meet our good friend, Everett McGill. Yeah, Big Ed. Big Ed. Um, Playing who is, the same role. <laughs> He's basically just Big but Ed like, again. He is tiptoeing into Silver Fox territory in this. <laughs> Like he, he's this a is, handsome man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not subtle about it. <laughs> Just speaking of a good head of hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, according, I, I did, as I often do, a little research instead of watching the movie fully. Um, this was his last role before Twin Peaks: The Return. Oh, really? He okay. did not work between this movie mm. and and the other. I don't know any more than that. I don't know why. Um, but and just like. Everett McGill. Their back and forth is really, really good. Uh, the the joke about like, you know, we've known each other a long time. I, you know, I always thought of you as a really smart man. Well, thank you. Until, Until now, now. <laughs> like, it's oh, just, it's classic, just a, it, like a beautiful piece of yeah. dad jokery. Yeah, it's delivered by a master. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, yeah, he's the best. He lights up the screen. Then, yeah, I just get, adore him. Know, how. You can tell a lot about a machine by who owned it, who owned it. So well, I good. own this one. Like, it's very, very, like. Um, what I loved about this movie, and, and I've said it already, I I 
ride on toxic masculinity a lot, especially my other mm-hmm. podcast, because I think it's ultimately what's going to get us all killed. <laughs> um, and movies like this that are like this wholesome masculinity and what I mean is like uh, Alvin isn't a blubbering mess he doesn't like mm-hmm. he still is in every way somebody can put masculine oh yeah but does not demonstrate his masculinity by well I mean violence of course with this um this tractor that he shoots but he doesn't shove people around he's sure. kind and gentle and talks about his feelings to people yeah, and he goes out of his way to not pull people out mm-hmm. like oh yeah. exactly um and i think that was sort of the beauty of this movie is mm-hmm. we we so infrequently get to see men like this who are i know these men these are real men who live in the world who are afraid of their feelings and think therapy is for the weak and think depression is a myth. But to hear him having this conversation with that other World War II vet about oh, God, the shit they carry it. with them is, is 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 great and such a good example for yeah. for men to follow. And and one step better it even seems that it isn't just like, oh well this is just who he happens to be and that's fine. It's him looking back at several moments and being like I didn't use I used to be angry and mm-hmm. more in that and and I need to be better than that mm-hmm. and acknowledging that and making those changes according especially with like how stubborn he is in regards to his own health when it comes to like building the relationship and like fixing the relationship with his family with mm-hmm. his brother is that's more important yeah and it's it's just I don't know it's all it's all very 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 sweet right um, so we come up to probably maybe my favorite scene. Um, oh, yeah. I have Jeff just laughed excessively at the grabber scene. Is that what we're getting at? No, oh, okay. but because I'm pretty sure that was your favorite. Okay. Scene. That was not clogged in here. And I think that was actually before his first attempt. Boy, oh boy. Did I fucking love that scene? <laughs> you were giggling like a. I, I don't even know what giggles just, a lot. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> it yeah, it just, was that. It was it. That's yeah, it. That's it. It was just this. It just it goes on for so the long. Lowest, okay, so if you hadn't watched this movie, um, he is buying some supplies. It's available it's, on, on Disney Plus, by the way, if you're looking for it for, to watch it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's buying supplies, and this guy is kind of like, oh, you're buying all these gas cans. Like, what the fuck's going on? And... Th- the only my only criticism, and maybe I missed it, is I don't think the grabber comes back later, and I would really I love to see Chekhov's grabber. He he uses it. Does he use it? Um, but not in any way that's like, oh, good thing he had that. Oh, okay. Like you, when he builds the fire, you see him collecting firewood with it. Oh yes, it does. Um, um so stuff like that, but there's it's never like a poignant moment. Yeah. So this scene is he's in this very a general store, which mm-hmm. boy oh Ace boy, Ace Hardware. It's an, it's is a, it an Ace, it's hardware? An Ace oh, hardware? Oh, I thought it was like a yeah. He's wearing the red Ace, and she even mentions at the beginning like, oh, I make birdhouses. They sell them at the Ace, oh, hardware. The Ace hardware. Oh, the the birdhouses are very sweet. Um, also, that was what made me think she was probably cognitively disabled a little bit. Is just the idea, the way he talked to her. She's like, look, and I finished this one. He's like, that's very nice. I'm gonna paint the next one blue. Mm-hmm. Like. That's the way he talked to her was a, a yeah. cue to me. Um, anyway, and he so he's 
getting all this shit and this guy's like what are you doing and he kind of goes oh uh can i get one of those uh those their grabbers that's well, mine <laughs> well, it's, well, it's, well it's my grabber well how does uh how does five cent five dollars sound about that i guess i have another and the, the best is like they they're doing that back and forth for a good minute and a half or two minutes Jesus, and then they paint over and they're like i guess i have another one <laughs> So funny, and, <laughs> and I, then it, and then it still gets prolonged even more. Oh, jeez, man. Ah, ooh, ah. Oh. Well, and the other thing that I liked about it, and I, I will play it for you when when we're done recording. Yes, and I please. know you don't. Just, oh, I thought I thought you meant you were gonna drop the clip. Oh in. no, I oh, will drop yeah. that in. But for you, Mikey, got it. After we're done recording here. There is a, and I'll drop it in the notes too. I know you don't love the McElroys, but there's an amazing bit that is just that rhythm. Oh. Um, of that kind of thing, and it the same thing goes I, on way too long, and it becomes funny well, fourteen times. That's why I'm surprised you liked this so much, because this the humor that I find in this scene is the same humor that I find in Del Mibler shuffling his feet across the the bank floor at the end of season two, or the guy sweeping the the floor at, in in season three the dumb like, number thing i liked the like it's the, the same bit to me that it's just like we're just in this loop and ultimately none of it fucking matters and that's what i love about it yeah no i've i like the dale nimbler scene the the thing about sweeping the the roadhouse is just the first time i saw it i was just i i a was not in like a sunken place of yeah. david lynch at that point and i was just like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> with this right now? Yeah. How fucking dare you, David Lynch? Like, just, I don't, because it was very much like, this is the thing we do, we did every Sunday for four months or whatever, because <laughs> because that was what we did, and I was trying to enjoy it, couldn't follow any of it, and then, like, in the peak of it, I had to watch a guy sweep the floor for three minutes, and I was just like, why did I marry Mikey if this is where I was going to end up, you know? Like, this is inevitable that I was going to have to watch you could have got a grabber. I could have got a grabber. It's a good ah, one. Maybe. Oh. And then, and and then the best is the guy goes, "Okay, ten dollars," <laughs> as though it's gonna. And he's like, "Great, ring it up." And he was like, "Oh, <laughs> like, 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 like he thought it was gonna muscle him out of it or something." <laughs> like, and then it still goes back and forth. And then the other guy, like, "What do you need that grabber for?" <laughs> like, it's still at one point you're like, "Oh my god, that scene was way longer than it needed to be." And then it still goes on for another like forty five seconds. Continues it's forever. Amazing. God, such but a it's, good. But scene. it is very very such funny. a funny because the guy like. It's as though it's he's asking him to like, can I take one of your children with me? Like he's so like, ah, oh, oh, it's gonna take a couple of months to get another grabber that good. Yeah, like, like it's a good grabber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's they're in short supply around yeah. here. Um, God, it's good. Okay. Um, so what I was saying was one of my favorite scenes was um. Uh, as as Alvin is is driving his tractor, non tractor lawnmower, um, he passes a young woman who's hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. And they there's another moment of like just real quick before we get in it. That's a great sequence. I feel like this is almost. I was mentioning that like the way the vignettes are broken up. Like these, this could be episodic TV show. Mm, you know totally. what I mean? Like oh, this episode's the hitchhiker. This episode's the Ooh, that priest. would actually be this a episode's great the, idea for yeah. a t- like a Lynchian or like a Room One Hundred Four type show. Sure. 
of the own like there's one actor actress well, group and it's just who they run into on the road there's a show it's a comedy sitcom i haven't watched it called the guest book and it's like did you say comedy sitcom like well it's a <laughs> like it's a sitcom but like it's a comedy show but it's called the guest book and it's, it's one of them there it's, comedy it's similar to that like 104 like it's a they they work at a motel or whatever and that sounds funny. I feel like that came out and everybody was like stoked about it. I, I remember wanting to see it and then I never heard about it coming out, but I just saw an ad for it on Hulu the other day. So I have no idea if it's any good. Twenty seven. But it's one of those that you get a different cast of comedians or whatever on each episode, which is kinda cool. Oh yes, it's a, oh, it's a TBS show. Yeah. Um anyway, there's a before he like really hits the road successfully, there's a there's another shot of like as he's leaving town of the grain silos and it's got the most industrial like lynchian noise like mm-hmm. i don't normally i mean i've been on road trips i've driven through we just drove through iowa last week yeah i've seen these silos and stuff i don't recall there being any noise but they like and we show were... this shuttle and it's like Grrr! As though they're like, and we were driving in most... a 2015 Mazda, not a loud ass yeah, lawnmower. Yeah. It's but like, <laughs> it's the most industrial noise of yeah. like, Gah. but it's interesting. I I just it felt very very Lynch, and I wanted to point that out real quick. But. Yeah, I um, I know you said you liked this score. I oh, f- did you not? I think this score was like nominated for shit. It's. I, I feel like I remember Battle of Menti being nominated, but I could be wrong. I mean, that could if, be what I found. It could be. And listen, I don't know anything about scoring anything. Um, and it's not that I didn't like it. It it just felt very like this is the soundtrack I've heard for the last, you know. It, it feels very similar to the other stuff he does to me. And mm. then there was a part that he had a he had a theme and honestly i didn't pay enough attention to know whose theme you know how they mm-hmm. they write musical themes for characters um so it must have been somebody's theme but it sounded to me like um uh uh from princess bride which mm. mark Knopfler yes. scored and it was a similar synthy thing but it was a little more like romantic and dr- and and, and- Knopfler has the twangy strings. Too yeah, it, it's a similar, in. it's a similar vibe. But it was just I forgot Knopfler did that. Yeah, yeah, it, it was just interesting thematically, and just I recognized like mm-hmm. the fucking second the credits started, I was like, did Battlementi score this? And you're like, oh, I don't know, and like yeah. it was just, and it's not just the synths. He ha- and listen, who am I to criticize? Battlementi, I don't know anything, but like sometimes it feels like he has like chord progressions that he really digs, sure. and he just drops them into everything. I mean, you know, it, are the Star Wars theme and the Jaws theme? Uh, yes, and, exactly. Williams and Indiana Jones are the like is incredibly recognizable. Yeah, like big, broad, major key yeah, themes. It's, I mean, all yeah, brass heavy. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think like he does a really like. He seems to set things up a little bit locationally, I feel like, with the score. Like, at the beginning, in, when he's at home in Lauren's, it, it's it's a lot more synthy and stuff. And as he starts getting on the road, it gets twangier. Oh, sure. And more, sh- like, violins and mm-hmm. stuff start coming in a lot more. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I, that could be where I, I, heard I think the I think the score journeys a lot, which mm-hmm. is what I like about it. And that's sure. obviously yeah, what I think we're watching fair. is a journey. And I think the, the score does that also. It starts like it's one of those where you don't the score doesn't sound 
it seems consistent throughout the movie, but if you took the first few notes or whatever, or the first, you know, 30 seconds of the very first part of music, and then the last 30 seconds, the last part of music, they're going to be very different. And I think the whole score kind of journeys from point A to Mm -hmm. point Z or whatever. So, um, Alvin drives past a young woman who's hitchhiking. Um, he kind of gives her a wave, and then later that night, he's bedded down, he's camping, and she finds his camp and says, I wasn't able to, to get a ride. So he lets her sit down, offers her a wiener. I will say there was, I would say they said wiener four more times than I expected <laughs> them to in this movie. I, honestly, I genuinely love that. That they he says wiener, wiener several yeah. times because to me it's just one of those perfect ways to show an age disconnect mm-hmm. that he they're they're wieners that's what they he's were called when I was growing aware up of the yeah fact like that he, he's just not dumbass. even making a correlation to it being because she reacts with like a uh, wiener. Like, a little bit like, why would you say that? And he's like, yeah, I've got some wieners. You can have one. And then, like, pulls open the cooler. And, you're and like, like he doesn't even realize that, like, he there's a potentially a double entendre there. Right, like, right. And I, it's, a, it's I, th- I think, a great simple way and realistic way to show the, their age disconnect, which, mm-hmm. I, which I love. Um. So Alvin, after offering her food, he figures out that she's running away and that she's pregnant. She says she's five months along. Yeah, and he his like he without it without skipping a beat is just like enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, there's a blanket over there. Yeah. Go grab it. Go grab it. And then and hey, then you just, bed down. How, the... how far along are you? I I've seen this before. I know who you are. Mm-hmm. I know your situation. Like it's 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 just so pleasant. Yes. It's so yes. pleasant. It's pleasant and it's, I don't want to say foolishly optimistic, but it is certainly, he, he, okay, so he gives this beautiful speech, and I loved it, of when my kids were young, I would have them break a stick in half. It was really easy to break. And then I had him bundle the, all those sticks together, try to break that in half. And of course, they couldn't do it. And that's what family is. Family is. Mm-hmm. You protecting each other, and he gives her like, "Hey, they may be, they may be mad, but they're not mad enough to want to not have you in their life anymore and not have your what and do you call it your little your little mistake your little uh, your little problem I your think. little problem." Yeah. Um, and I love and he even makes it like I know you're thinking you're doing what's right for you right now, but also like the kid can't grow up like this. Yeah, give the kid a place to go. Yeah, like, and I. Love it, and then I immediately think, like, well, I don't know, like, it was the 90s, but people still fucking murder their daughters who got pregnant out of, sure. out of wedlock, so sure. that was and that was just me being very cynical, as I, I, want, I want to be. Which, um, I think, you know, in the lifetime that you've grown up in, that's completely warranted. Mm-hmm. I think there's, I think, as much as I love David Lynch, and I think there's a naivete about mm, yeah. a lot of his... Because he grew up with a very wholesome life, and I I think he was sheltered mm-hmm. a lot from, which is weird because he also can tap into some of the darkest fucking shit, right? But and and I think that shit really 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 bothers him, 
which is why he puts it out there. So he's trying to remind you of the wholesome stuff with mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. Sure. Uh, you know, like, but his idea of wholesome may or may not ever have really existed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. 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 And David Lynch, uh, apparently had read th- this was co-written by one of his longtime collaborators. Um, Mary, Mary Sweeney. S- Mary Sweeney. Um, and somebody else, John something. I had never heard of him. Uh, John Roach, who I, yeah, I don't recognize either. Uh, and this is his, uh, Lynch's only, Oh, <laughs> did you fill up your wine there, bud? It's, I just killed the bottle. I got the, some, Oh, you got 19 grams? The Snoop Dogg. Oh, I almost pulled off the Snoop Dogg Red Blend. Mikey is drinking. The Snoop Dogg wines are pretty good. They're pretty good. It's under the 19 grams. This one is very, very sweet. Like this. It genuinely looks like like pink lemonade when he's drinking it. I'm drinking red wine like a grown-up. That means nothing. I don't shame people. You like what you like. That was shitty of me, and I take it back. Hot out, and it's rosé day. Day day drinking is rosé. It's six. (laughs) Well, I started a few hours ago. <laughs> Don't worry um, about it. I, you know, I walked the dog before we recorded, and it's gorgeous outside. Really? It's Good. really lovely. It got it was warm. Yeah, it was there. it was not great. Um. So so yeah, he he. Sorry, I just want to see if I missed anything. Um. So he goes back he they do the thing oh he wants her to take the camper mm-hmm. thing she says no of course not yeah and he does and god and the thing about like rural men and i don't know if it's they actually can but they claim to be able to sleep anywhere that is a point the cow- of the cowboy nap just totally tip, tip it your is, hat down and it is such an aggressive yeah. point of pride I've, I've for been like in the men I that aren't like pristine and i'm like can't sleep at all we- this is- <laughs> <laughs> i stayed in oh my god. Uh, south dakota like a last minute booking because oh so uh last week um we had pre-recorded mikey and i drove to Colorado and back. Um, it was about a 10-day road trip. And we did the direct route out through Iowa, through Nebraska, through eastern Colorado. which On, on a lawnmower. On a lawnmower, as one does with a trailer. <laughs> um, and we'd been planning on going the southern route and crossing through Kansas City. And then we realized that Missouri is maybe not the best place for us right now because we do appreciate having lungs and life. Um, and yeah. so our friend's husband, uh-huh. our friend was like, just go fucking north. And so we bopped north. Yeah, I was like, oh, we, yeah, I guess we can go through the gorgeous views in Wyoming Which and South Dakota. 90 was how I got out to Montana. Yeah. I knew that drive was gorgeous. It just didn't occur to me. Yeah. Went through it the was, Badlands and stuff. It was great. Oh, yeah. The Badlands were gorgeous. But all that's to say is that last hotel room we stayed in, in, um, in um, Sioux, not Sioux Falls. Yeah, yeah Sioux, Sioux Falls, Falls, not Sioux City. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. There was like a tiny dip in the mattress, like where my hips were, and I was like, "How am I supposed to sleep here? Yeah, <laughs> this is Princess and the Pea bullshit." Yeah, um, but we brought Dottie. She was great. Dottie's our dog. Yeah, I don't know if I talk about her on this show. Anyway, we do it. She's she makes her appearances. Um, and then he wakes up the next morning and he sees this bundle of sticks tied yeah. with like so this is a where I, I really really like this Blair Witch crossover because <laughs> yeah. that came out the same year and I think it's really really cool I'm surprised it doesn't come back at the end but 
Okay, now instead of <laughs> now instead of like the show I pitched that was sort of like Room 104, it's going to be exactly oh, okay. like run, gotcha. Room 104. A, and every place he camps. Well, is... the one through line character is the Blair Witch, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, got it. Got yes. It. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. Um, and it's just that <laughs> that weird like X shaped yeah. figure that just like toddles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not the witch, but the stick figure that it makes. Is there ever a physical we don't, witch? We don't. I didn't see any of the sequels. Um, um, but we never see it. There is supposedly, but we never see it. Honestly, found footage was a really good injection into the horror oh, industry. Ab- like some of them are very good, some of them are absolute crap. Of course, but, as as is with all. But it's also movies. it's it was a brilliant move to make, especially with the birth of independent cinema being huge <sighs> in the nineties. That like we can make a cheap fucking movie. And it's. I'm glad it, it did so well. I think to this day, I could be wrong, but percent. It may have been beaten by something or whatever, but percentage wise, Blair Witch is still the best performing movie of all time. Let me see. It's. It was. It was. I'm. I'm pretty sure it's Blair Witch still, and Blair Witch beat Deep Throat. <laughs> Which. Deep, oh, Deep Throat the Porn? Deep Throat the Porn album. Not, not Deep Throat the person who ran it out, not, <laughs> Nixon. No, deep, the, yeah, Deep Throat the, the porn movie from the 70s. Because that made a shitload of money in when it was premiered, you know, when it play at theater, like porn theaters in New York. Most profitable movie. See, that's what's hard is that's, you, if you, it, it's, the key is you have to go by percentage. Because Blair Witch Project costs like $10,000 to make. $35,000. Okay. But oh no, that, no! Excuse me. Okay, I'm reading this uh, Hollywood Reporter article from January. Tw- excuse me, 2020. Um, if you think of profit purely as ratio of production cost to box office gross, which sounds like yes, yes. Um, the Blair Witch Project, and similarly, do you have a guess for the second one that it's neck and neck with? Oh, I thought it was Deep Throat. Is it? If it it's might not, not, they might not be considering I mean, that because it's not yeah, this, mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Um. Could be paranormal activity. It's exactly paranormal yeah. activity. Um, yeah, apparently the whole budget after like post production and stuff was two hundred thousand dollars for Blair Witch, maybe as much as five hundred thousand dollars. And honestly, I would bet a hundred thousand dollars of that is simply marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like the actual like money to make it. Yeah, what you said, thirty five. Like that's yeah. what the kids see. Because the the I remember that being a thing. Uh, Cause that came out. That's like when I was in film school, and I remember that being like, "Oh 99? shit, yeah, we could do this." Like, I mean, that really was yeah, the absolutely. thing that all of a sudden, like, 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 like that's a movie that benefit from the fact that, like, well, we can't afford the high end cameras. Perfect. Let's make this look like shit. Yeah, let's and make also- it look like the high eight camera we use, and that's yeah. great. That's exactly what you want it to look like. Um, but I remember. Um, there being some story or something around that time, and I'm pulling this back from 20 years ago when I remember hearing it, so I don't know, um, you know, how how sure. much this holds up or whatever, but I remember there being something where, like, they were offered the threesome who made it, because the, the actors and everybody, those are basically just the three people who made it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there were actors, and there was another person who set it all up. There like, was, there, they didn't the, know they're but there's four or five people or whatever like there's the crew who made that movie I see is only a hand, a very small handful okay, of people I understand what you 
Um, and when artists and entertainment came to buy it or like when they were shopping the movie around artists and entertainment offered them a flat rate of a million dollars, which I'm sure yeah, for them they, was, and they absolutely took it. And then, so it was a million dollar split four ways yeah. or whatever, however many people, you know, were involved mm-hmm. on the producer side of things. And then the movie went on to make millions upon millions. Um, and that being one of those things of like, what do you do when you're a 20 year old kid? There's no and you're right offered a million dollars for this fucking shitty movie that you made, and you're like, do I do I have the means to wait and see? Like, nope, don't give me a million dollars. Give me four points on the back end or whatever. Like, but when could you're you imagine fucking if they 20, done the, exactly, three, exactly. No, listen, when when I was 26, Six, maybe mm-hmm. no god probably yeah 25 26 is when we moved in together and we filmed that that uh mini web series in our apartment oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so for five six seven days our apartment yeah, was like that. a fully hot set yeah we'll link to that too it's called jobless it's called jobless it's it's fun Fil- it's filmed in our old apartment it's my friend budge Doug, obviously Doug but it's made it. yeah. fun and 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 it's well good and it's good yeah, though. It, I'm proud it, of it. it's worth being yeah. proud of um but like when we left, Doug Tyler, because I the, by the last day I was like on the brink of full mental breakdown. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was my. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll set you up for the story. I know you want to say that in a second because I like the thing about it, and this it's a little bit on me because it was I. So Doug was a friend of mine I worked with. Um, he was making this project. He brought me on as assistant director. Um. And he, we were looking for one of the the main characters' apartments where a lot of stuff pick, takes place. So the overall yeah. arching thing is and a we guy were, loses his fiance and his job and crashes with his friends and how that affects everybody. Exactly. Um, and we were going to film at his place and stuff. And like his place was, it was a great place, but like it was like an old Chicago apartment. Mm-hmm. And it was like this. This isn't the look. This isn't like if he's staying with his friends who are well off, it isn't the right look. And we were we had just gotten an apartment at a brand new, brand new, newly re, newly renovated. Mm-hmm. There we go, a newly renovated apartment that like in uptown. In uptown, yeah. But Which it was is, but the at in, the time the kind interior of a... and it was like an old hotel, so the lobby was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like everything about our place looked really, really, really nice. Mm-hmm. And I was like. We should, I'll, I'll run it by my girlfriend at the time. And like, but if we film at my place, I think it would be better for this shoot. Like, I think it looks better. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. And then <laughs> I, I, I regretted it and then didn't regret it. But like, I invited him in to film at our place. So it wasn't even like they like pushed it on us. But that was how we got, how we got it is that like we came in, uh, Casey, who is the DP, came in and looked around he's like yeah but all these walls are like really bland there are we allowed to paint yeah yeah are we allowed to paint and i we ran with the building and they said that's fine if you paint it Mm -hmm. and so instead of like paying us to use it they just painted our walls for free so Mm -hmm. we all did but and we got a free paint job of 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 probably the the lowest (laughs) yeah 
the worst pain, the cheapest pain, the lowest quality pain. We skimped on primers and all that kind of stuff. Oh god! But it was fine for like every time we took our our big. Clock that <laughs> yeah, costs right. $25 for Bed Bath & Beyond to change it. There was like a shadow of it. <laughs> yeah. Which I just thought was how paint did. And now we actually spent better money yeah. on on paint yeah. in this house. And I'm like, oh, uh, everything yeah. you hang yeah, up yeah, doesn't yeah, leave yeah. shadows. Yeah. But anyway, so we, yeah, it was a great thing. We filmed there. We invited it in. But like by the end of it, it was exhausting. We had a second room that was just jam-packed with camera gear. Everything was moved. Everything was moved and out of place. Like it's it's a lot of like you shift the furniture so that you can get get this shot or this is you're taking out couch cushions and piling egg crates on it so that they can sit Moving higher. Moving the bookshelf off the wall. Exactly. All sorts of stuff and it was exhausting and it was all loud. So like if you weren't fil- and we were filming for ten hours a day. Mm-hmm. If you weren't, it was a non-union shoot. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although no, it was SAG though. It was sad. Yeah, Sue because had Sue had to, to get her SAG card. Had to get her SAG card in order to be in it. Um, but the crew was non-union. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you had nowhere to go. Like, I was on set working, mm-hmm. and you just lived there. So you would just be locked in the bedroom trying to, like, read or whatever while loud shit is clanking around and going back and forth and yelling about Dr. Dennis or whatever yeah. in the other room. Like... Yeah, it was. And it then, was... I you want to tell your Brian Kavanaugh story? I'm sure. Um, I will. That's not the story. Oh, I, I thought that's up to tell, up. but Sorry. um, no this this guy Brian Kavanaugh who was mm, no, no relation to Brett. A Brian Kavanaugh is a much 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 better person. Yes, yes. <laughs> the um, the Supreme Court justice. No, Brian was an actor, and he was actually dating one of the female leads he was like a supporting character played her roommate her Mm -hmm. platonic roommate um and sue was his girlfriend was playing opposite sad brad smith Mm -hmm. who is an academy award nominee is an academy award nominee and a friend of anna kendrick which is really important to me because i just feel like that's gonna come come into play someday so is joe schwamberg yeah, but I have never met Joe Schwamberg. Oh, okay. Sad Brad Smith hung out with me in my apartment. Sad, Sad Brad Smith did the music or did wrote a song for Up in the Air. Up in the Air. That was nominated um, for which an Oscar. Which is how he knows Anna Kendrick. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, there was a scene between Sue, our friend's girlfriend, and Sad Brad Smith, who was not her. Dottie's playing her favorite game, Does It Squeak? And the answer is yes. Um, she just pushes her noses into things sometimes and sees if it squeaks and then walks away from it. Dottie, not Sue. Yes, Dottie. I mean, I don't know what Sue does with Maybe her life. Maybe she might. Uh, so Sue and Brian are dating, but then Sue has this like scene opposite her boyfriend in the show of... Uh, it, it's ultimately like an affectionate yeah. scene. And it's 9, 10, 11, midnight at yeah. night. Yeah. Um, and I'd made friends with people along the way, obviously. Yeah. They were, like, fucking living in my house. Um, every, people could not have been nicer and kinder and chiller. Um, there were two sex scenes filmed in our, filmed in our bed, which <laughs> is just something we're going to have to deal with I now. Mean, yeah. If we have a so child who sleeps in that bed someday, I don't know how I'm going to tell him or her where, what that bed has been used for. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, all that's to say is Brian, who, again, was dating the woman, just... Really soft, <laughs> sad knock on, on our bedroom door. 
and I'm in bed reading and he was like and I you know who is it and he just pokes his head in he was like um <laughs> can I come stay in here because I don't want to watch Sue doing a love scene with another guy <laughs> and I was like of course it's so sweet and so he literally had a newspaper like a full like the (laughs) chicago tribune and laid down at the foot of the bed on the floor i told i was like you can sit on the bed or like it's fine my boyfriend is 15 feet away i don't think anybody's concerned about your girlfriend is in the other room with another guy also we're fine you apparently all know what's happening here but he laid on the <laughs> the floor at the foot of the bed and was just sadly reading the newspaper. <laughs> and like once in a while, I'd be like, hey, did you see Steven Spielberg? Did-? Just once in a while, he would just like read a headline to me and then like lay back down. <laughs> it was adorable. And we we talked for probably two hours. He yeah. couldn't have been nicer. Um, no, but the, the reason I brought that story up is because when they'd been in our house for 10 days or whatever, and honestly it could have been three days. I just remember as it being like highly disruptive. Yeah. Um, and I was like near tears by the end because I just couldn't like, I'm kind of a slob, but it was to the point where there was just something everywhere on the floor. I couldn't step anywhere. I couldn't put anything down. I couldn't make myself food. At one point I made the whole cast and crew chili and yeah. beer bread and it was great yeah yeah and they all said it was great but anyway so i was like obviously which, on the verge of a breakdown and doug tyler they're all piling. which is funny because that's a lot of what the like the show is about is someone coming in and wrecking your apartment in this place where it's like i not have to stop i'm losing my mind living like, here i love you and i'm glad yeah. i can help you but yeah. also if you don't leave i will murder you you're you. absolutely the lead character in this show exactly. like you're in the exact same place yeah <laughs> and so like I was like obviously on the verge of tears and I was being your sister Carrie to do a manicure pedicure hmm. and Doug Tyler just grabs me and he was like hey um I'm sorry here and just gave me a hundo <laughs> just in cash yeah. just a $100 bill and I was like all worth it because <laughs> at that time I was making uh, that was when I was at apartment yeah. so I was making commission it's funny um and it was just like great Manicure better for we Jessica. Had we, had, yeah, exactly. we had most of our budget came from Verona safety. And nobody reimbursed me for that chili that I made. Yep, there you go. And it was very good. Yeah, it was very it is good. It's yeah, good. It's you still make good the chili. recipe I mo- use. Boy, oh boy, how did we get there, do you think? <sighs> it doesn't matter. Okay. Um So we've only been through the first real vignette, right? The runaway? Yeah, the runaway. Um, Which also I wanted to point out. Something that I love that maybe wasn't intentional or whatever, but they, from a production design and a costume design, uh, she what she was wearing, and like she had like nice Nikes on. Oh, I didn't notice that. Um, like there's, a, there's at least one shot where they show her she's sitting with like, on the ground with her knees up and her mm. arms across her knees and they start at her shoes and go up like you see which to me felt like a great way to and maybe something that the Alvin character picked up on but like she's not poor she's not running away because she's in this hardship home and you know things are bad like she's being taken care of she's coming from some money she's got a really kick ass pair of Nikes on and if like, she has shitty it, maternity 
clothes that probably means she's grabbing them from a Goodwill instead of... Like she's... Things are likely better than she's exacerbating in her own Mm -hmm. head. You know what I mean? And I thought it was an interesting choice. Yeah. I, again, want to say, like, just because she... Absolutely. I, we, nobody, and he he even says that, like, oh, families... And he's like, he, there's a line in there, and I don't remember what it is exactly, but um, something about that where she says, like, well, you don't know about me and my family. And he's like, you're right. And you don't know about me and my family. But I'd like to think that. And, and says what his piece about family mm-hmm. and what it means. And that's when he goes into the, the stick story and stuff. But like, because sa- he says, whatever it is, you're probably better off at home. And she's like, well, you don't know. He's like, you're right. I yeah. don't. Yeah. But I'd like to, I'd like to think positively and think mm-hmm. that that's hopefully the case. Yeah. And you might be right. And, and like, he doesn't, he, what I love about that is that he doesn't, Say, oh, no, family is more important than anything you're going to. Sure. Like, he makes a point of saying family is important, but also do what's best. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, Look out for yourself. Yeah. He doesn't negate anything that she says, which I think is excellent. Anyway, continue. So the next day, he's driving down the road, um, and he starts getting passed by all these bikers. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it is, and I did not know this is a thing, but it was linked to in this Wikipedia entry, um, RAGBRAI, or RAGBRAI, is mm. an acronym for Registers Annual Great Bicycle Ride Across Iowa, a non-competitive huh. bicycle ride organized by the Des Moines Register. The ride goes across the state of Iowa from west to east and draws recreational riders from across the United States and many foreign countries. Um, it's been going since this 1973. It's the cool. largest bike touring event in the world. I have huh. never heard of that. So that's yeah. apparently what that was. Um, and so they all fly by him. Yeah. He pulls over, stops, watch him like go by. And like, oh, my God. It's a, it's a really weird, it's like it's disorienting. Very disorienting. And, like, and it's it's stressful, but also he's like, people are nice to him and he's nice to them. Like There, there is a really wholesome moment of these men, and it's, it seems to be mostly men, whizzing by on their bikes and maybe they're saying something and all of a sudden you hear them go, I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> like, to a person who's ostensibly a mile away by yeah, the time yeah, he gets yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, so he arrives at the cyclist camp later. Um, he's greeted with applause, which is adorable. It's, it's so it, cute. Like, it's a great shot, too, of, like, coming, like, on the horizon line in, like, this grass field. There's tents set up. See, there's bikes parked and there's people kind of lining up on each side and he's just coming down the middle straight toward the camera and everyone's like hey so cute cute. it's very very cool i bet that's a really fun event oh i believe it yeah um and so and so they're all hanging out it's weird that it's iowa one of the most boring states to drive in the Wine Register tried like, to drag people into yeah, their state them, by man. hook or by crook. They they, they get them, primaries once every four years and then this. Yeah. And then everybody goes to just, Iowa, I like guess. It's, it's cool for about 20 minutes. You're like, oh, look at all the, the corn blowing. And and then you realize that, like, oh, it's this for 400 miles. Okay. I understand that, like, the drive through Iowa and Nebraska is boring, but I still think it's really, like, I think the rolling hills, and oh, I, I think it's really beautiful. I don't mind and it. It's just when it's 11 hours of your drive is the same. Yeah, is I where guess. It gets I still think it's really lovely. Cool. Like, it's just one Good. of those things that, like, my dad, my brother went to University of Iowa for 
a year and a half and my dad would always complain about going there and by the time on our drive when we got to Iowa City I was like I thought that was a really lovely drive like well, I it, love driving it through moves really quickly because it's all straight mm-hmm. but it's like when you want to drive across the country like oh that's fine but how much better was the drive through Wyoming and South Dakota like it's just that's cool looking sure there's shit to look at but like I don't know. No, yeah. it, it, there is shit to look at, but also like I, I, I find farms even when they're, well, not anymore when they're like plastered in Trump posters or whatever. Yeah. But like, there's something I find very lovely about farms, and maybe yeah. it's no, I agree. I, I, you know, living in Indiana and working on farms and things like also, that. Also, I've made that drive so many times sure. that like, I'm bored with it now. Yeah, you know. Anyway. And that's like when I used to drive to Muncie, you could either do from Chicago 65 down to 465 and then 69 up. But I would always go, I know, but I always go like almost all the way to Indy. And then there's just like a rural country road that takes you 100 miles east Uh and then it spits you out right by Muncie. And I always loved doing that because like the small town Americana, I think, is really lovely. And and anyway. Um, and so, and that was one of the things I did like about this movie is like David Lynch, despite being a Pacific Northwest guy, was like obviously in love with the look of Iowa. Like, just he had so I'm, many like I'm luxurious did you, shots. Did of, you look up the budget? Because everything in this is filmed on location. Um, I know. So it, I'm curious what the budget for a movie like I this know it is. was filmed in order. That's a that thing makes I know. sense. I mean, move the entire production crew. Along with the journey, that makes sense. Yeah, I do. It seems like that's the type of thing you either do this in order or you do it in reverse order. Um, let's see. I don't. Inception. No, I don't have a budget off. I can find. I can find of it. this. Um. Okay. Anyway. Oh, and so this this next scene is, uh, I had mixed feelings about it, and I want to hear your thought. Um, this conversation he had around the campfire. Uh, budget was 10 mil. Wow. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on the, the conversation they had around the campfire about how terrible growing old is. Is that what you took out of it? I didn't get that. Literally, it was, what's good about growing old? Literally nothing. What do you, what's bad about growing old? All of the things. Do you like thinking about being young? No, I'm too old to think about being young. It was just a man who was like, I'm old and fuck you assholes. Is that not where you, I thought it was plain as day. Yeah, maybe. I, I like, I didn't really put much on it. I, I thought it was like. I, 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 I took it less of him being bitter about being old and more Alvin trying to remind them to enjoy being young. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it, for like, sure. And I think he overdoes it or whatever a little bit to be like, don't forget like to remember this stuff and appreciate it and do good for yourself now hmm. rather than like, make a shitload of mistakes and then try to correct them on your deathbed. You know what I mean? Sure. But yeah. Um, so the next day we see, we see a bunch of, uh, like Mack trucks passing him 
and then we see honestly maybe no, we the, didn't we didn't talk about the when the first truck whips by him and he loses his hat and has to go get that it. Was bef- yeah, that was yeah that was on his first tractor yeah. the one yeah and then later another truck passes and he's like gripping his hat to his head and it goes by and he and he gets this really sweet subtle like smile like hey, I figured this I, out. I got this yeah. I can make this now and yeah. it's a really really cute moment yeah um but we see maybe one of the more um budget shots of this movie of we are just in a one shot of Alvin's face and then we hear oh the in it like I I have a mention of that too because it's it does a snap zoom but it's like the snap it does really snap it's like two or three it kind of like stutters into him which I thought is weird no I love it did you it felt to me like what a tractor trying to stop suddenly mm. would do. It doesn't and come to a good side because it, it doesn't chugs, have like anti-lock brakes. Yeah. It like chug, kunk, kunk, and it did that, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. I really, really liked it because they even mentioned that at one point later, like the trailer doesn't have brakes. So he can't slam mm. on the brakes. If he does that, that trailer's coming through him. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Yeah. I, I really, really, really liked that. Um, but I really like this woman he this interacts scene with. Is, this She's, is one of my favorite scenes. Is in the she? Movie. I have no idea who she is. She doesn't even get a fucking hot link in uh, this. But it's this woman. We realize it's a it's a woman driving like Chrysler or something like that, and she's hit mm-hmm. a buck, like a three by three buck. Um, and he's like, "Oh my god, can I help you? Is there anything I can do?" And she delivers this delicious rant of any person who has ever had a shitty commute or a thing that they have to deal with for no other reason because then I guess it's the job I have right now. And she says, I have been driving up this fucking road Monday the, through yeah, Friday. Curse. G, G-rated. <laughs> In her heart, she said, yeah, I've yeah. been driving up and down this fucking road for however long. And I have She hit- says, I think, 13 in, in seven weeks. So it's like more than one a week. Oh, no. Well, I was saying she's been driving up. And then she says, I hit a car. Or, excuse me, I hit a deer at least once. I've hit a deer at least once a week for the last X amount of weeks. And she says, like you said, 13 deer in seven Seven weeks. weeks. Which is, I hit a deer once in Montana, and it was horrific. We split to, on this last road trip, we were going 90 miles an hour in South Dakota. Yeah, pulling and into th- literally one of them got just to the right of our car and another one just on the left. And we, you know, field goal split good. Split the uprights. Split the uprights. It was terrifying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, continue. I didn't sleep especially well that Nor night. Nor did I. And, and there was the divot in the bed and uh, fuck yeah. all that. You remember the divot. Yeah, we discussed the divot. It's a very important divot. <laughs> Um, Should have slept upright in a lawn chair. We would have fine. Honestly, it probably would have been better than that fucking divot. Am I right, Daddy? God, that was a terrible hotel. Um, so I, I genuinely loved that scene of God. just... There's something really great about somebody who's like, there's nothing to... I know this is a thing I'm going to have to deal with. For the, all I could think of is like her insurance premiums must be through the fucking roof. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like, the way he just lets her go. Mm. He doesn't try to, like, is there, what can Fix I... Fix her problems. Right. But but then, in, in, like, I like to think that, like, if there's some type of 
karmatic universe or whatever, the fact that he, because she just pulls away. At the end of that scene, at the end of that mm-hmm. rant, she just pulls away. She tries and, to and jam her hood down. Great work of production design. There's like leaked oil and mm-hmm. shit from where the car hit, which mm-hmm. is exactly what would happen. And that's a thing that gets yep. missed a lot in movies. Yep. Um, but she can still drive, drives away. And then the next thing you see is him grilling venison over the fire. Um, and then which, looking back at yeah, the deer at the statues, plastic, yeah. that was funny. Um, but what I like is that there's a, like, if there if if there's some type of, like, karma in the world, or maybe not karma, but, like, it feels like by him clearing this deer from the road and then using it for good, maybe... It's a waste not want not. Right. But, like, maybe that will cure her, like, deer-hitting curse. Oh, that's a deep read that I didn't get. You know what I mean though? Yeah, no, I like I, I feel mean. like like the fact that this keeps happening to her which is defies all lo- like logic odds mm. shouldn't keep happening. And she you look around she's like where are they even coming from? They're not darting out from trees. She does it, she does a look both ways and she's like where are they even coming yeah, from? Yeah, that was a really and good it's, part. And it's yeah, it's dead open air she's like i should be able to fucking see him and it's they not just like appear. it's surrounded by wilderness yeah. on either side it, like it feels like it's almost some kind of curse mm-hmm. and by him using it for sure a, a, a legitimate purpose all of a sudden maybe that breaks the curse mm-hmm. you know what i mean like i don't know i felt like after like after her exchange with him like you know he's the Are you, good, like, Forrest Gumping him a little bit? A little bit? bit. A little bit. I mean, this movie is not yeah. unlike Forrest Gump. No, it's Gump. a Forrest Gump relation. Um, but, I, yeah, I feel like he did some good, and maybe now she never hits a deer again. Mm, I hope so. You know? I don't yeah. know. Let's go to the bathroom.
goodness. <laughs> Don't forget to cut this out. <laughs> I gave you a spike so you know how to cut this out. Okay, Daddy, here we go. Part two. Uh, so the next thing that happens is Alvin is heading down a hill. His brakes fail. Um, yeah, he blows a belt. They did. They yeah. Um, and he, I mean, he loses control of the speed. He's trying to keep it straight. Ends up okay. Nobody dies. It's for seemingly a nothing moment. Really, like it's really stressful. It's like yeah. they, they like the hills and valleys of this movie are not are pretty shallow, so this one feels very Right. And it is a pretty dramatic hill, but like you know, like not they literal said, hills and valleys. I mean oh, 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 story wise oh, oh, yeah. hills and valleys. Um um but yeah, like and like they, they mentioned the, the the trailer doesn't have brakes, so like mm-hmm. I could easily tip and throw him dramatically off and in his condition that could kill him right um so a man named named danny helps alvin get his mower and trailer off the main road um where they discover that it has transmission problems um at this point alvin is running low on funds um and so he borrowed we talked about the scene already danny lends him uh his cordless phone and he Mm -hmm. and he talks to his um daughter to his daughter um, asks her to send a social security check. Um, he leaves a telephone with three bucks underneath it because he's unfailingly polite. Um, Danny also said he comes out a couple times and he's like, hey, we can drive you the rest of the way. My wife and I would love to have a nice drive. And at this point, Alvin kind of it, it become to me. This is the point where it's not that Alvin cannot get there any other way. It's he feels like he has to. Yeah, uh, which which I think is really interesting because he makes a point to say that later that his brother is Baptist. I assume Alvin's Baptist as well, um, and but he seems to be doing this sort of um, paying his uh, not respects what's penance. It? Yeah, his penance, which is a very Catholic thing and a Lutheran thing, and it. But that's what kind of what it feels like is he has to pay this penance for these two hundred ninety miles or whatever he drives. Mm-hmm. That's him. That's him absolving himself for these 10 years of not talking to his brother, hmm. and now it's too late. Yeah, I, that's... Because, I mean, yeah, to sense. me, that's what I read of... At, at, at the beginning, it's, this is my only option that I can see, and now it's, this is what I have to do for whatever yeah. reason he thinks. And I, think, I don't think penance is always great, but... Yeah, I, I, agreed. I, I thought of... I think that's a, a, a you know perfectly accurate reading. I could see that. I could agree with that very easily i i always took it more of just like he wants to use this he's using this as his alone time to reflect on Mm. why he's doing what he's doing what is this really what i want to be doing let me remember the good times i had with my my brother yeah all of that i think he is using it as his alone time kind of sure um i mean and i which also could be a little bit penance as well you know what i mean like i think those it could be a very much a combination of those things right um so uh Verilyn, which i did not know that was his name um Verilyn, who appears to be what um danny's father is that what we think 
This is the army vet, the World War II vet. Oh. Because um, he kind of drives by him and says, I need a drink. Looks like you need a drink, too. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I never. I just took it as small town community. Oh, sure. They know each other. Hey, you're you know old. I mean? I'm old. <laughs> well, I not even not even that, but like in relation to the Danny Danny character, like I don't know that he's a father. Oh, I think he's just part you're of the one of the twelve people who live in this community. Sure, we talk to each other. You know what I mean? Sure. And it seemed like everybody was out because there was some type of like fire training drill. Oh, was that a? Is that what that was? Cause, okay, because when he pulls this up, he stops in front of a large, not large, yeah, a, a burning, small building, yeah. on fire. And while they are obviously actively putting it out, it does not appear to be. Yeah, three of the firefighters come and like help pull him off the road. Right, like it's, right. Doesn't it's, say, it doesn't seem to be an emergency because at the end of that, when they pull him off, and he's like, "All right, well, cool," and they brush their hands off. One of the firefighters says something along the lines of like, "Okay, I'm going to get back to the drill now." Or some, or I get did back hear that, training. and I did not understand what it means. I think but now they were I saying, do. Like, yes, it's some of type course. of firefighter training. Of course, that makes sense. Um, and I think that's one of those like that's the big thing that's happening in town this week. Sure, sure, sure. So people come out and watch it, and so that's why they were all there. I and so I don't think they're ne- necessarily like family uh, or even good friends. It's just like kind of a bunch of people in the community came out to see this, and so they all met yeah. each other, and that's why he asked them. Um, I was just listening to the dollop recently and they did a story about this dude who in the 30s, I think, decided he was going to walk around the world backwards. Yikes. Um, It's around the world, around the world. Oh, the oceans must be tough. Yeah, real tough. I basically he just took boats and then started up again, walking backwards and he would like when he got to like his hotel at night they would draw a line and then as soon as he crossed that line he would walk forward again and then when he came back out he would walk backwards so he didn't like so it was a, a straight line of him walking backwards all the time <laughs> um, That's, like i get when people want to like hey i had a challenge i want to ride my bike across it i want to do it what the fuck is the point of that this was a time, so the 1930s was a huge. Is this the whole around the world in 80 days shit? No, it was, was way after that. When like, was that? That was like know. Victorian, so How like late okay. late 1800s. Um, but this was there was in the early 20th century there was just this huge push of like human achievements, like, and so do you, have you heard of pole sitting? I know you've heard of plaid, flagpole sitters. I mean, Sitters. I know. Yeah, I know flagpole sitter. Um, the- <laughs> that was a thing in the 30s that people. <laughs> Little quick tangent on on this tangent. Uh, I saw an interview at one point because like Harvey Danger is actually a pretty good band. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that because of the fact that their one hit was whatever. And he's was very good. Yeah, but but it's 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 a poppy song or whatever, but. At one point, like in some interviews, like I'm they asked somebody asked him about that song and he said, like, I'm just disappointed because if I had any inclination that that song (laughs) would blow up the way it was, I would not have named it Flagpole Sitta. (laughs) And he's like, that's my big regret in all of this is that like I like that we have this big song that's huge, but like, God damn it, I wouldn't have named it Flagpole Sitta. (laughs) So funny. Anyway, continue. Um. So, flagpole sitting is the only one I 
can think of off the top of my dome, but it was a it was a lot of. Is that like the how many people can you get in a phone booth and no, shit like that? No, that was like more that? like 1980s David Letterman stuff. How many Spider Mans can you fit in a Starbucks well, I feel like or whatever? It was like he did? 60s college things. So this but... was in the 20s, um, okay. and it was just like feats of human strength. So um, cross, uh, swimming across the English Channel was a yeah, huge yeah, thing yeah. that people would do. Flagpole sitting, which was literally, like, it's exa- well, it was called pole sitting. It's exactly what it fucking sounds like. Somebody would climb up a pole and sit there for days and weeks at a time. And it was just a thing. People would go see this guy who's been sitting here for a long time. So at this time in the 1920s, do, do they like rig it in any way, or are they just like Mm-mm. it's? I mean, it's asked a pole. It's yeah. I mean, it's a flagpole. It's I don't know, probably ten inches sure. diameter. But and they don't like. Yeah, I can look at. I I mean. Just sitting on a fucking fly- a pole. And he's very low to the ground. This picture that they have that I'm showing Mikey, which is on the Wikipedia page for pole sitting. Um, but it's just one of those things that people really... L- it was very much like Letterman's stupid human tricks. Oh, this one has like a crossbar at the top, though, that he's sitting on. Well, I mean... That's what I was wondering. Like, is it is it trying to sit on a little round ball, which is going to like... But, okay, so it, when you say it's like a place to rest his feet? No, well, no, like... Where his ass is, there's there's the oh, square there? pole and there's a crossbar. He's sitting on the crossbar. Oh, I didn't see that. But I mean, okay. it, this was like a, this is probably a guy trying to break a record. This was like a frat prank people would do mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm gonna sit on this pole for eight hours. And it would, I guess what I'm saying is, this time and you saw you see it kind of portrayed in in um, Forrest Gump as well of like. People doing weird shit and other people coming to see because they didn't have fucking yeah, Netflix. Yeah. So what else are you doing today? Yeah. Um. So beep bop boop, bing bang boom, <laughs> bing bang boom. You're fired, Ed. Um. And so uh, Varilyn brings brings Alvin Ugh. town for a drink. Who uh uh um, I, Alvin orders a pint of milk instead of beer because he doesn't so drink, cute. and he talks about how. When he used to drink, he used to get mad, and that's he... that's a big reason. Like, what I love is that they never really go into detail about what split him and his brother up. I mean, honestly, they just hint at things like this. Like, they had some dumb argument that at this point doesn't even fucking matter, but it was fueled by anger and drinking and shit. Masculinity. Yeah, just this bullshit that doesn't fucking matter. And I love that they don't talk about, like, well, he slept with my girlfriend and my girl, like. Doesn't matter. Even if that was what it was. But it isn't about that. It's like, it's it's all, it's some dumb shit that it it sounds like he almost doesn't even remember anymore. Can I, (laughs) um, that actually makes me think of a thing that I have thought about for genuinely almost 30 years. Um, when I was a kid, you're going to have to take this journey with me. When I was a kid, I used to read the Berenstein Bears, Mm -hmm. as many people did. And there was this book that was about sister and brother bear got in a fight Mm -hmm. and the fallout of that fight. And at the end, Mama Bear comes in and says, oh, I bet you can't even believe, can't even remember what you're fighting for. And oh my God, they can't even remember what you're fighting for. For or about? Excuse me, about. Okay. About. And I remember being a kid and being like, I can't imagine that. And now as an adult, 
I also can't imagine that. So I wonder if that is like a thing men do of like they get in a fight about nothing and it blows up and extrapolates. And by the time they're just mad about being mad as opposed to, oh, you slept like if you Mikey, if you cheated on me. I would know why we were fighting forever. Or even if, sure. like, you did something mildly inconsiderate, I would know what was at the root of our fight. Because I'm not mad at you just for the sake of being mad. I'm mad about a specific thing. I've just never in my entire life gotten in a fight with somebody and, like, oh, if you think back, you probably can't ma- remember what you're mad about. I always remember what I'm mad about. Because other- if I didn't remember, I probably would have made up with that person because it wasn't worth fighting about. I think, I think it... Or losing a friendship over. I think it comes from a place of two stubborn people fighting about something and then person A becoming defensive, then person B becomes defensive, and then goes on the attack, then person B becomes defensive, goes on the counterattack, person A becomes defensive again, and you go back and forth enough like that that what you're arguing about eventually mm-hmm. isn't what the catalyst of the fight was. Yeah. And so this blew I, I imagine that it was something fucking dumb. Yeah. But blew up into the point where I then called you some fucking shit. You called me some shit. You called me out on this awful mm-hmm. thing. You fight first. And it became that the fight itself wasn't about... Like, where the fight escalated to wasn't about the catalyst anymore. So this, the right. fight itself isn't... No. Is, like, what actually broke them up isn't the catalyst. It's and the I, fight. And, and the I fight understand, is... And yeah. I do understand that. And, like, certainly I... It's just one of those things that, like, I... And I'm not saying it never happens, and I'm not saying it will never happen to me. It's just one of those things that's in a resolution and see, and used as something like, this happens to all of us. You've been fighting so long, you can't remember what you're mad at each other about. And to me, I've never had that in my entire life. Like, if I've ever disliked a friend or a family member or somebody I knew... I can trace it back to, hey, this is this shitty thing they said or did to me, and that's why I am keeping my distance, not because, like, we just kept fighting forever, and now we just... But, I don't know, maybe it's a dude thing of, like, you can't... I don't think you... that's a dude thing. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I could be 100% wrong. I've just never experienced that or even come close to experiencing that. Do you ever feel like you have a problem holding grudges? No, I would say the opposite. I would say the opposite of, like... Because it I... seems like if you can... If that memory doesn't dissipate, that to me suggests that you're just fucking holding a grudge. No? I mean, but I I feel like you're saying holding a grudge is a necessarily bad thing, whereas, like, there's a former college roommate I haven't talked to in 10-plus years because she was a shitty friend to me, and... I don't want to be her friend anymore. I is if that's holding a grudge, then yeah, I hold grudges. No, I, but the counterpoint to that is like, if I get in a a scrap with somebody over something that feels big at the time, but eventually. But have you ever been in a fight with somebody that you have said we're done? I'm not going to be talking to you anymore. No, I don't think so. Then, 
then then I don't think you have relevant experience to draw from. But do you, you know think what I mean? do you think people like this say to each other, "We're done talking. We don't have a relationship," or do they just? Oh yeah, hundred conti- percent. Uh, really, it's not 100%. just. It's not just. We got There's in a fight. There's a phone last- up to my ear, and I say, "You're fucking dead to me." Click. Like that's yeah. I've, that's what I. That's what I imagine that being. Yeah, I've. I think I. I don't think it's like we had one fight one evening, and all of a sudden we don't talk. I think it's something kicked something off. They fought, then they went back and forth for weeks. Mm-hmm. And finally said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm done. Yeah. Because they're exhausted from fighting to the point where. And I think that just comes from a point of pride and and stubbornness and whatever. But it's I don't. I I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I think it's I have never really done that. I've never had a fight that got to that. So I can't don't think mm-hmm. I can rightfully say it, but. I don't, I don't think that that's a masculine or feminine thing or whatever. But yeah, I, I think I, it's, I think it seems totally reasonable to forget about why you're fighting. I, like, genuinely, I don't. I do not under like. I mean, you, you know, me and my brother for fifteen years plus, like. 17 years like we fought and he's been like mildly shitty to me or whatever but like we I don't know I I just I I guess I it's if I stopped talking to my brother say I don't think it would be the result it just seems the stubbornness involved in that of like fuck you no you fuck you Johnny Anyway, I don't know. I I, I, I just, just I don't I think you've had a good growing like you've you've never you've never been in that position where you've got something that is such a big fight that it ends a relationship. I hundred percent have. Literally, the person from college that I just told you about. I we got in a fight. She said terrible things to me, and I just. Stopped. Okay, I, stopped I guess talking I, to I, her. I, but at no point did I think, "Oh, I don't even remember why I'm mad at her." I just know I'm mad at her. I I have a hundred percent had relationship-ending okay. arguments. Don't really understand what you're saying. I don't think. All right. I mean, I is that I feel like. I don't know. I I. I I just I'm I find it hard. I I'm not understanding why you. You can't get your head around the idea of forgetting that. I don't think that's I'm, so preposterous that I'm not saying it's preposterous. I just think it. I was, I read books as a child that made it think like inevitably you're gonna get in a fight with somebody you love, and eventually the fight will go on and on and on until nobody remembers why they're fighting anymore, and then you just figure your shit out. I, I there is nobody in my life who I no longer speak to. Or who I avoid that I can't like put a fucking finger on exactly the moment that I understood that they were toxic to me or or whatever. There, I yeah, I don't. I would. I say, don't know how else to put it. I don't think I'm being unreasonable, yeah. especially if it's like a brother. I think it's more. It's less about like male female dynamics and more about just time. I think 
the world has taught us in the last 10, 15 years to be more introspective and to be, to, you've, you've learned what is toxic. You've learned about toxicity. And I don't think people 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago knew that. You know what I mean? Like, well, sure. So they, and, and they couldn't I'm... put a pin on why they were fighting. You can put a, you put a pin on it and then hold on to that pin. I don't think most people do that. I think people like it, it's a matter of is the fight based in emotion or is the fight based in action? Like is the fight directly attributed to what happened or is the fight about is a fight emotionally based? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I I mean, I guess I guess I understand the thing of my sister and I grew up when we always had a contentious relationship and finally we had a big fight and that was it and we don't talk anymore. But the way Alvin describes it is his brother was his best friend and all of a sudden they got drunk and got in a big fight and they haven't talked in 10 years. And... And also, and and that to me, I think if he said, uh, you know, what, what's his brother's name? Lyle. Lyle. Lyle was always mom's favorite, and she always treated him better, and I was always bitter about it. Mm-hmm. And then we had this thing, and we whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a to me a different thing than, like, uh, just imagine like if you and your sister, who have had a really good relationship for forty plus years. If all of a sudden you got drunk and had one fight and you never talked again, like mm-hmm. to me that is a, a a wild, weird, big step to take. Mm-hmm. That that to me rests in and whether it's masculine quote unquote or just pridefulness. Sure, it's this person said a mean thing to me. Fuck them until they decide that they're. I think that's the difference. Is I don't think that's in their in in Alvin and Lyle's relationship. I don't think it was. This person said this thing and fuck you, you're dead to me. I don't think it's that simple. I think it's, I think it's comes from a post-war drunken cloud mm. of I don't even know who I am or what's going on or what I'm doing. We're just fighting because that's all I know how to do is because I'm coming back from fucking war and the shit that I saw and I don't know how to deal with it. And I'm just fighting and pushing everyone away and I don't know why or how or what. And I feel like that's where their fight comes in. Yeah, so it sounds like we're in agreement. So I don't think he even knows what he was fighting about in the first place, much less forgetting it. I don't think he ever even really knew in the first place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I, I... Yeah, and for all we know, Lyle was the doctor trying to help him mm-hmm. through a difficult time, and he was being a stubborn asshole and pushed sure. him away. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think, but I, th- I think we're in a in agreement that like whatever happened between these two brothers is not a thing that happens sometimes in families. I think that's what I was trying to say. Of like, w- the media I was surrounded with growing up gave me examples of stories of these two people have been fighting for so long that they don't know what they're fighting about anymore. It's the McC- the 
McCoys, Hatfields and, Hatfields McCoys, and McCoys of Capulets and Montagues. We're just yeah. mad because we're fucking mad. And it's my parents were mad, so I'm mad too. Yeah, yeah. and 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 I sure. guess that's what I'm saying is okay. like this I isn't a yeah. thing that most people go through. It is a thing that people who have PTSD <laughs> and don't, and give right. no support and nobody knows how to work it, and so they sure. fix it with rum and then push away the people they need most. Rum, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it went rum. If I'm being honest, yeah. I don't even have rum in my eye line from where I'm sitting. It was the I only mean, booze I could maybe think there's of. pirates. Maybe there were pirates. You never know where there PTSD are or not pirates. pirates in Wisconsin. We all know that. <laughs> I just, I just picture like a PTSD soldier coming home from war and just being like. Give me some fucking Bacardi, man. <laughs> like, and they would I, drink Captain Morgan, like gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If they were drinking rum, they would probably drink Captain Morgan. That's true. But they're probably drinking fucking whiskey. <laughs> yeah, and if or vodka if they're Russian. And if or, I wasn't three quarters into a bottle of wine, I could have figured that out for myself. Yeah. But unfortunately yeah. for us all, and here it, we are. Yeah. And a little bit of it is is even making is making the choice to forget what it was about sure you know and i think that plays a factor too but either way i like my overarching point on all of it is that i like that they don't go into a specific event that did all this i like that they there's some mystery of, of about it i i enjoy that that mm-hmm. like it gives the it feel like it gives the characters more depth in that you don't they don't become plot devices they become yeah this happened and maybe I should forget about it or maybe I should move on or maybe but he did say this and then I said this but I shouldn't have said that and Mm -hmm. he shouldn't have said this but he said it like the fact that all of that is kind of there in the subtext I think is wonderful anyway um okay so so yeah so we listen to this He's drinking like, milk. Heartbreaking the guy's monologue mil- between these light. two. Miller's light, but just this story. This this is an absolute tearjerker moment. I was at a hundred percent welled up. It's his story about his buddy, Cody. Co- Cody. Cody. I think so. Um, something like that. Something in the neighborhood. I. Oof. Oof, a dupe. And it's so. It's, do you remember the old, the guy on the right? Do you remember his story? Who he tells his story first. Um, I'm forgetting. So now. he talks about being in a um, whatever, in a platoon. Yeah. And all of his buddies are in some oh, building yeah, and, and he it gets bombed, left out for something, and then his, all of his friends. It's and like all the, of his they're died. like the two stories are very similar. almost. But like inverted. Sure. Like yes, yes, I understand. his entire yes, platoon, understand. he accidentally killed one guy in their platoon. Yeah. The other one, yeah. I'm the one guy who survived when my platoon got killed. And both mm-hmm. of them feel guilty for exact opposite reasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but just, just the back, like we always talk about show don't tell, but like had they done some kind of flashback scene it would or have worked as well. It, none of it would have worked. The the fact that it's like very minimal edits, mm-hmm. just and it's and it's sitting belly up at a bar, so everything is like straight to camera. They're not even talking to each other. They're both looking forward, which is for me one of my one of my favorite uh, ways to show like masculine vulnerability 
is to show men talking to each other but not facing each other. Uh, okay. Because looking into somebody's eyes is extraordinarily vulnerable. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. vulnerable. For sure. It's much easier to stare into a void or stare at the a bottle of rum in bottle, front of yeah. you. <laughs> um, and I and I love that. And yeah. like, yeah. When I when I bag on masculinity and things like that, it's because it doesn't leave room for moments like this, which to me are the most important thing in the entire fucking world is to process your trauma. However, however, mm-hmm. is important to you, and because between the 1940s and fucking 2021 we as a country have decided that like ptsd doesn't matter for soldiers what we are left with are these heart-wrenching moments of seeing these aged men these men in their 80s who the worst day of their life was when they're 18 years old or 20 years old Mm -hmm. and they have been carrying that around with them and have never been taught how to process it and they even he makes a point of saying like i've no no one knows that but nobody even the people who were there that day don't know that Mm -hmm. i've held on to this until right this second and elvin's story is that he was a sniper and he was keeping watch over his his team we'll call it he saw something move saw it move again thought it was enemy he even tells that story so well where he sets up that guy as being the great recon guy. Mm-hmm. So he was out doing recon. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, and yeah, God, for me, I, and, I, and I've said, I don't know, on this podcast specifically, but certainly. I, le- I legitimately wrote in my notes, WW2 story. Uh. <laughs> um, I... Uh, I'm sure I've told you, Mikey, I don't think I've mentioned it on this show, but one of the many reasons I avoid war movies and war media is because I cannot help but feel two things are true. This was almost certainly unnecessary, and nobody has given you support on the back end. And and it's not that, like, my heart doesn't go out to vets. Mm -hmm. But also the same people who are saber-rattling and ready to send our boys off and get boots on the ground are not willing to admit that they're going to fuck these men up. Whether they come back with all their limbs or not, they're going to come back with really... They're going to come back fundamentally broken and nobody cares about Mm -hmm. that. And that's why I hate... I genuinely... One of my best friends in high school, he's kind of a crazy person now mm-hmm. and it and i genuinely it the reason i don't watch more movies is not just because mm-hmm. i find it extremely stressful but i think it's really shitty that we as a as a country as a media enterprise or whatever are still willing to say like oh the boys of world war Two were the heroes or the the greatest Greatest generation was yes, yes, yes. It was mm-hmm. was World War Two. Boomers, boomers are still obsessed of of fucking obsessed with. Oh, when my dad was eighteen, he stormed the shores of Normandy. When your kid is eighteen, he's questioning his gender, as if, as if giving a child horrible like right. it, it, it's garbage. And so that's why when I see anybody talk about war, I'm like, and, and I think this is. As the best way to do it, of 
all they're talking about is how much they hurt. And this and they're each reflecting one day. Yeah. One Not day. Not even one day. One, one moment. Moment. Yeah. Um and and I agree. I for the most part I'm I'm very particular about the war movies that I enjoy and the ones I do. Ooh. What? <laughs> I feel like that was just a, a big old gulp. Oh. Um <laughs> Um, the war, the one, the war movies that I do enjoy, absolutely do not paint war in any glamorized light. And and for me, it's like I don't want to watch a glamorized war, nor do I want to watch eighteen year old boys being traumatized. So, what are war movies for? For me, I I for me, what I I think if you have a good a good enough one, it's like it's what film the one thing film can do. And it's shine a light on things that are being hidden. It's behind this bullshit patriotism you have. This is the horror that you're celebrating. But they you know still I mean? celebrate the horror. They not still. All of them. Not all. You're of them. right. Not that all and of those them. are the ones that I tend to find to attract myself to. Like I, I don't like. Like I have no desire to see American Sniper. I have no desire to see Hacksaw Ridge, these hero sure. soldiers who come home. Mm-hmm. Those, that's bullshit to me. Lone Survivor, yeah. 100%. Those are movies that are designed to get you like proud to be an American. And that's 100% bullshit. Yeah. I, I want to see movies that show people breaking. I want, I want to watch that because I think th- that's what needs to be seen. Mm-hmm. That's how. That's the light in which we need to paint war. It's. But that's not what's selling tickets. Sometimes, I think that's what Hurt Locker is. And yeah, no, you know. Not. But but because again, but, well, and I and that's fine. You don't need to. But the fact that a movie like Hurt Locker did as well as it did, and is by no means saying was it financially successful. Or just, I mean, uh, yes, critically acclaimed. Yes, both. But okay. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, oh shit, we, we should make a sequel, sure. um, financially successful. But like, I feel like war sequels are hard to pull off, <laughs> right? <laughs> World War Three, Hitler's Hurt with a Z, Hitler's back. <laughs> oh Jesus. So Alvin's tractor is fixed. He's presented with a $250 bill from the mechanics who are played by uh, Chris Farley's surviving brothers. Yeah. Chris Farley was meant to be in this movie and he died before they found Was he it. really? He was. That's true. I didn't know that. I mean, according to IMDb trivia. Interesting. That's what I do when like I Like I knew his brother. I actually, I mentioned this to you. I did in high school, I did a second city I did theater in high school, and we did a Second City um, like workshop. Yeah, and John Farley was one of the quote unquote mm-hmm. celebrities who came to do the workshop mm-hmm. with us. Yeah, um, which was funny because it was like, "Oh, John, you're Chris Farley's brother," and this is 1996, right. so like the heyday of Chris, Chris Farley. Farley was about yeah. to die, but like he was still Chris yeah. fucking Farley. Oh, he died in his peak. Um. And so he was celebrity in that his brother was famous, but like, not really, yeah, you know. Exactly. But it was it was interesting. But um, these two are great. They're they're good comic the, relief. This, this scene where Alvin kind of negotiates them down from yeah. two fifty to one eighty was a fun scene of just like, so you worked X amount of hours. How much of that mm-hmm. was bickering? Because I've been here for a couple hours and mm-hmm. y'all are nerds. I 
I have well, there's one thing that stood out to me that I'm very curious about is why does Kevin Farley have a giant band-aid on his chin? I don't know. And honestly, I don't care. I I think it's a great it's either that genuinely happened to John Sure. John Farley or Kevin was, yeah. Kevin Farley or like or, listen, working on a farm, are working they, at a I feel like are they making a statement that the two of them were working on this thing and at one point John hit him because they were so they were bickering so much sure. that he hit him and then it clipped his any yeah. like I feel like they just those are little like production design moments that like add this entire backstory for these characters we get for three minutes. Sure. And I love it. I yeah, love it. They feel fleshed out. Yeah. Um and so he has a nice speech about nobody knows you better than a brother of your own age which mm-hmm. was nice and it gives these boys a little like hard eyes of you're my best friend and when this came out when this was filmed like you gotta believe there was some real serious subtext conversations happening there with like your brother just died yeah and it was a couple uh, years after, but right. But like your not. brother died, and well, you know he died a couple years after this was released, right? Or after this started filming, or um, I, when did Farley uh, die? I don't know. I keep talking. I'll figure it out. Um, but point being, like he was, he was dead by the time that this was filmed, and so like this, just this conversation of like the two brothers. So he died in 97. This came out in 99. So yeah, almost okay. certainly he had recently died when they were filming. Okay. Yeah. So to have this conversation about like appreciate your brother for who he is, like especially after they just lost their brother, like it's just a very meta mm-hmm. subtextual kind of moment that I, 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 I just gen like, there's no reason he needed a cast. Chris Farley's brothers right he could have cast anybody in this Mm -hmm. role and they do a fun thing about (laughs) making the Olsons the Olsen twins which is hysterical because Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen were fully on the scene oh absolutely Absolutely. they're my age they they would have been 11 (laughs) and I I love his dumb joke when he's talking to the guy about like yeah well the Olsen twins say it's gonna be 250 well that's twice what it should be but I guess that's one for each brother or something yeah. like that yeah, like, it's a great little fucking line the, like this movie just treads the line and goes like they joke about the whole like you'll laugh you'll cry it's better than cats that's this movie like yeah. uh, legitimately there's tear jerking moments mm-hmm. and then there's absolutely gut wrenching like laughter and yeah. like it's it's all just delivered this movie is especially now more that I the more I talk about it like this is a fucking masterpiece and I don't understand why it's not more highly recognized on in David Lynch's career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this it's, is it's this a is film. a masterpiece. Um so Alvin um this is when Alvin kind of does his his I want speech, his I want song that I talk about in in musicals of this is my goal. And so he tells Danny about I know with the thing we've already talked about. I don't. I don't even know what I'm mad at him for. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually, Elvin uh, arrives in Mount Zion, and actually, I'm I'm kind of curious what your take on this. And he stops at a bar and he has a beer, his first drink. 
I was going <laughs> to – it's funny because my – I was waiting for the scene so that I could say, I'm curious what your take on this is. Well, I beat you to it. So what's because your take? Because I don't know. It's, um, it's a really weird <laughs> – I had the one reaction when he first goes into the bar and there's a big Packer country sign, and I thought – it's funny that David Lynch probably is like, I don't know what Packer country means. Right. Um, but no, so he sits down, orders a beer. What flavor? Which I, I like. Mm-hmm. That's a good line. Miller's Light. Miller's Light. Yeah. What does Miller's Light t- taste like? Yeah. How about what does Miller's Light taste like? And he gives him a Miller Light and he's drinking it and he's, do you want another one? I I don't know. I don't, like The only thing I can think is that he decides, like, he's forgiven his brother. The, and this, I'm kind of putting this together now, but mm-hmm. he's forgiven his brother and he doesn't blame the alcohol for it anymore. He can safely drink again because he probably, you know, didn't necessarily have a problem. He was just trying to cope with a thing that he couldn't handle at the time. Mm-hmm. He can drink again, but then the bartender comes back and says, Do you want another one? And he this says, This one will do me just fine. To say he's not an alcoholic. He mm-hmm. doesn't have a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. But he can drink again if he wants to. And he's okay with like it almost like it almost feels like somehow the beer is a metaphor for his brother. You know, like we can make this work, but I don't we don't ha- I don't have to like take all the blame for everything or something. You know what I mean? I do. And I I don't know except but I I I felt it jarring though immediately. I did as well. when when he first sits down and or, and he orders a beer and I was like, "Wait, they make a strong effort to clarify that he doesn't drink and hasn't in years. Mm-hmm. Why is he ordering a beer?" Mm-hmm. Oh, but he rejects a second one. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's falling off the wagon. I don't know. It's interesting. Um yeah, so I have I have family members who are in the 12-step program in, in AA. Um, and um, I, I think there are I, obviously there are people obviously alcoholism is very real and people mm-hmm. deal with it. 100%. No doubt. I also think there are a a section of people who feel who quit drinking or feel like they have to quit drinking or or try to quit drinking um because the drinking exacerbates other shit that they're trying to deal mm. with. And so in my opinion, and I've watched a few people who I'm close to go through the program, mm-hmm. In my opinion, the the biggest benefit of AA is the therapeutic sense of it. Yeah. Which which is whatever. Like you couldn't pay me enough to go to group therapy because I am so fucking self involved. I don't want to hear, hear about anybody's other. I will sit and talk to somebody on a couch about their pain, but like if I'm in group therapy, all I'd be sitting thinking is like. I bet I can tell a better story because I'm a nightmare person. Um, I think there is a section of people who um, alcohol became their undoing, not because they are problematic drinkers, but because 
drinking brought out in them the shit that they've been trying to tamp down for however long. Sure. Um, and so I, 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 my immediate instinct was like, this is a terrible, a terrible story to tell people of he hasn't drank for so long and then he has one drink and he's fine and there's no problem. I think that's borderline dangerous for people who genuinely do have a capital D drinking problem. I think also people use booze as a more of a crutch than like they're not drink they drink because they're trying a to third cane it's a third cane for him thank you michael <laughs> a third milk-shaped cane uh, i i think people stop drinking because they need to grab hold of something in their life and they're spiraling and don't know how to fix it well, and it's hard to approach things without a clear head uh, correct and also because in, I have to imagine, in the late 90s, in the mid-90s when this actually happened, a person like Alvin Strait is not going to text his therapist like I did last week and be like, hey, I'm having a hard time. Can we talk? Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, there are people who have a capital D drinking problem. I think there are more more people who need to figure out how to not use drinking as a crutch or not, you know, not use it, whatever. So I think he kind of lands in that latter territory. He blames drinking for his falling out with his brother when really it wasn't the booze. The booze was just a lubricant to get them to the... that in this scene. You're right. I see what you mean. Um, I still am not sure I like it. I agree. I, and, and clearly... The, the problem with it, too, is that nothing else happens in this scene. Mm-hmm. This scene is designed around he has one beer, he rejects a second one, gets specific directions to his brother's place. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, you could cut this scene out, and I don't think it would change the movie very much. No, no, but I'm glad it's here. Yeah. I, I'm I'm torn on it. This this because like because it's so jarring to me initially when he orders that drink. Like it's but you're right, there is a difference between like a drinking an alcohol addiction and a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. Like those are different things, I think. Mm-hmm. Um but it's yeah, it's all just it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. But there's, yeah, there's very clearly a statement being made in it. But I, and I think I like it in this story. I like it for this character. I like it for this movie. But I think, like you said, I don't like it for the viewer. Mm -hmm. I don't like it for the statement that you're saying is that, Oh, you'll be fine if you, if you just know why you're drinking. You kind of, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, you're right. It's, it feels dangerous, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So uh, Alvin finally arrives at uh, Mount Zion. His, uh, his. his Lawnmower breaks down. Yeah, 
that was unnecessary. No, it. Especially since like the counterpoint. Can I view counterpoint? Yeah, go ahead. I and we joked about it when it happened, and literally as the big tractor rolled up, you're like, "Which one's bigger?" Because that's a bit we have yeah. going on. It gave me a very good scale. Of, because okay. because I, I, I and maybe this is just me personally. I have seen people driving tractors along a highway. I've seen sure. it many times. But you see those big boy tractors. You see those big boy tractors, yeah. and I don't think I realize it's not a tractor. It's, it's a not a tractor. It's lawnmower. Yeah. Um. So I really liked that. Um. Yeah, it's just like I feel like they could have had him pa- like to have it break down, and then I mean, he- that's also exactly what he he actually Alvin actually Did broke he? down two miles away from okay. his brother's house. Okay. So then I was, guess then, that that, then that's a little bit yeah, but it just it's it's an unnecessary interruption to this story. Like it felt like there you was felt like you're climbing up to your climax. Yeah, and then, it sure. felt like th- what they were going to set up was he breaks down again a mile from the thing, but you know what? He gets out, pulls out both of his canes, and he walks the rest of the way mm-hmm. because he's that determined, and that's what he's got to do. Right. And it felt like they were setting up this big moment, and then this guy just rolls by and is like, oh, you just got to switch to switch yeah. whatever. Oh, cool. Started again. We're good. Thanks. Yeah, I think and that it was, was like them being faithful to the yeah, story. Yeah, faithful to the story, but did people don't know this story. So it just it felt like an interruption. Well, I think that's an in, interesting in the, thing about, the build. about doing know. any kind of biopic is – somebody's life does not match the beats of your story and you have to make a decision of is the story of him breaking down two miles away from his brother's house important enough to include even though it disrupts the flow of the story that he's trying to tell and I to me it makes it more realistic of like we're like heading towards our climax and then yeah another thing goes wrong because he's driving a lawnmower yeah um so he finally um Finally arrives. Uh, hit, uh, Lyle's house is dilapidated. It kind of reminded. It made me think it's of. It's a shack. Yeah. It's a shack. It, it made me think of um, Big Fish hmm. when he arrives at Jenny's place and it's really dilapidated. Uh, he calls for his brother. Speaking of Jenny, it's like Forrest Gump, Jenny's yep. dad's place or whatever. Um. Finally, his brother appears using I, a walker, I, as you noted. I, there's a there's a great moment, though. And you mentioned this, too, while he was pulling up. You're like, oh, shit, he's going to get there and his brother's already dead. Oh, I right? was 100% sure he was going to find right. a brother who died five minutes prior. Right. And what they do, and this is a great cinema trick or whatever, like one of those subtle get you to think something without knowing it, is he pulls up gets out like stands up and and he's standing at the end of the driveway or whatever and looks at the porch and the camera slowly kind of zooms in on an empty chair sitting mm, on the porch yeah as though to say he's not there anymore bing bong and he's he's gone. and he and he kind of like wells up and he goes and he just kind of yells lyle it's so good and you get like this is it. You get eight or ten seconds, and it's zooming in on that chair, and you go, oh, shit. And he goes, I'm coming. <laughs> like, in the best way, and you're just like, oh. And especially if you're a Lynch fan or whatever, but, like, and I've seen this before, but, like, that's very clearly Harry Dean Stanton's voice. And the was, fact that they don't put his name up front in the movie, he's a surprise credit at the end. Was this their first collaboration? Harry Dean Stanton and, and uh, Firewalk with Me is before this, so they definitely worked oh, on of that. Of course, of course. And yes, Harry Dean Stanton is in Wild at Heart as well. 
Okay, so you could just say no, and uh, you're an idiot, Jessica. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> but it's a it's it's great uh, that he's like, recognizable. Yeah, and he steps up. This such a very very short scene, and it's beautiful. The moment. So he gets out. He comes out in the walker, like I said. And he looks at Alvin, and Alvin's still standing. And he says, have a seat. And it's the first thing he says to him, like, inviting him in and being respectful. But then Harry Dean Stanton sits down. You get a close-up of Harry. And he looks over to his left or whatever. He squints a little bit as he sees the lawnmower in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And you just see his eyes welling up. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, is it beautiful. It's so good. And he just says, did you ride that all the way here? Did you ride it just to see me? Just to see me. And he says, I did, Lyle. I did, Lyle. It's so good. It truly is great. Like, for... for, I feel like there's a bit that comes up that I see every once in a while of like, who, what acting performance makes a movie infinitely better when they're on screen for less than 15 minutes or something like that. Yeah, Harry Dean He's Stanton. on screen for maybe four minutes. Yeah. And everything he does is incredible. Mm. Every beat, every moment is one of the best acting performances I've ever seen. And it's... It can't it's like not even enough to qualify for like a best supporting actor. No, yeah. Like he's not in this movie. Yeah. He's a bonus feature. I mean, Dame he's, Dame Judy Dench won for like a twelve minute performance right, of Queen Elizabeth. Right. But like it's like this feels like it's almost like a I don't even know like it's like he should have been paid like a featured player rate. He's got like four lines of dialogue. One day of shooting. One day of shooting. Like this is and it's Incredible! The performance he turns in is amazing. And granted, he's fucking Harry Dean Stanton. I love Harry Dean Stanton. But he's he's just one of the best characters. Like he's in some excellent movies. He's in so many movies, and Mm -hmm. almost never is he a lead. Mm -hmm. But he always comes and just delivers. It's so. I mean, I think that's the beauty of character actors. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And um. So they sit and they look up at the stars and that's the end of our movie. I love, and I love all the shots of the stars that we see throughout the movie. And it's, we see it's the, very the, lynchy, the young yeah. pregnant woman say, I sleep better when I look up at the stars. Yeah, there's a lot of because, that. And that's a very non, it's a very rural thing of yeah. you leave a city and all of a sudden, Jesus Christ, these stars are They're gone. Ever, yeah. yeah. And like, there's a there's a bunch of like all the transition scenes that when he's moving from vignette to vignette, basically there's like these other great shots of like sweeping through the corn, like rolling over the top, but it goes like it kind of zigzags back and forth a lot, mm-hmm. where which is kind of it's unnor- not just driving along a right. road, yeah. It's like it feel it feels this like the, the intro to season three where it's like zipping through the red room and you see the curtains and the yeah. floor moving yeah. it's zigzagging through the corn like that in this way that like i don't know there's this movie is fucking excellent it's very good it was very excellent. very good um all right well that's all i have um thank you for listening yeah 
God, honestly, this movie is worth watching. I feel like oh, we've had a couple of things where I, it's I I I like I every. I can see my parents loving yeah, this. Yeah, I movie. forget too, like because it doesn't get talked about as a David Lynch movie, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It's but fuck, like. Realistically, this might be my favorite David Lynch movie. Wow. It's good. It is very good. And, I really enjoyed it. And I love that it's he stepped outside of his comfort zone, which uh, okay. his comfort zone is nobody else's comfort right. zone. But he stepped into everybody else's comfort zone to make this movie. Well, apparently, and it's so good. Uh, he read uh, Mary Sweeney's script and was so moved by it that he just okay. really wanted to be in charge of telling the story. It was really important to him. That, um, and that that's why he tracks. stepped. It, it was nothing he was looking uh, from what I read. Nothing he was looking for. Just one of those things of like the yeah. script spoke to him and he. Let's make it. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Love it. Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, that was a really a, an enjoyable movie and be a nice break from everything. You know, it's such a Yeah, well, we're going to get into Mulholland Drive, Mulholland next. Drive next yeah. and then Inland Empire and then we're basically done unless we do um I short have films or what anything did like Jack that. do? Even that is I mean, that's like a 20 minute oh, Netflix it? movie, you know. Yeah, we are uh, rolling up on the end. So, yeah, we'll figure out if we continue on. There's all sorts of fucking teasers happening in the world of there's some somebody I they just filed for permits. Somebody is filming in the Snoqualmie Falls area. Is it you? <laughs> it might be. Oh. Surprises. Stay <laughs> tuned, everybody. World. I'm making jobless two it <laughs> takes place in snoqualmie falls yeah exactly all right um so we will i guess we'll talk to you in a couple couple weeks yes, thanks for sir. listening goodbye thank you for listening to cooper duper at twin peaks podcast for regular people hosted by michael greif and me jessica bloomke greif our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>